Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to episode 142 of Wait, What? And Comics and Pop Culture Peaceling. Today, Graham McMillan joins me for our last podcast of 2013, a two-and-a-half-hour explavaganza to talk new comics, old comics, the highs of 2013, and the mysteries of the future. Topics today include Slayground by Darwin Cook, Avengers, Endless Wartime, Batman and Two-Face number 26, Saga, The Walking Dead, uh, I present my best of list for 2013. Graham gives additions and annotations there too. We announce our new podcasting schedule for 2014 and inevitably much, much more. List heavy show notes are now available at cybersprint.com and we always welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening and wish you holiday joy and a happy new year. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, what a surprise! What What a surprise, really. Yes, who, indeed. Who, who would have thought Not that on this day, <laughs> Thursday, the Thursday before Christmas, let it be said. Uh, and so, happy Christmas podcast, Jeff Lester. Why, thank you, Graham. Happy Christmas podcast to you. Uh, the, we should have sleigh bells going, shouldn't we? Yeah. Is that Santa Comics on our, on our roof? I wonder what he's got. I wonder if we've been naughty or nice this year. <laughs> you know, that is a really a good question. I was looking back at um, all of our uh, assorted, well, basically all the uh, show notes that I wrote for the various podcast episodes this year so that I could piece together something like a best of list. And um, I have to say, this is episode 142 that we're recording right here, right now. And I think we started the year at episode 111. So Really? That's a, that's a bunch of podcasts we've done this year, Jeff. That's, that's like uh, 30, 31 episodes. Not even counting the one, of course, that we've lost entirely. So, you know. I think Which oh, still remains our greatest and most controversial episode ever. It is, by all means. Like, people, if people could have heard it, they would not have been able to stop talking about it. So. If people had heard it, they might not have come back the following week. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> if people had heard it, we probably would have had our homes burnt to the ground. Let's, so, yes. Well, there, there's that. But, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk through the year in comics? Why don't you talk through 2013 in comics? Because you've obviously done the research, unlike me. No, 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 no. See, I was hoping you would cover the news, and then I could just sort of cover the books <laughs> that I oh, made I, the list I, for. I swear to God, I have been trying to think about that over the last couple of days, just, you know, for various reasons, like mm-hmm. for various jobs on this. And I, I am completely lost. I honestly was like, was Before Watchmen this year or last year? When did Before Watchmen even happen? <laughs> right, exactly. It is. It all kind of becomes one crazy merry-go-round. When, when of a, did we hate DC, and then when did we switch to Marvel? Why haven't? Ever, why hasn't everyone switched to Marvel? What's going on? Also, did you see the news today? Uh, which news? The Steve Wacker news. I only saw it because God bless. Uh, oh, I, I, w- I was nice on Twitter. Uh, no, no, I didn't peek over that. That would have been awesome. No, the the hilariously titled L. Rick uh, Melnibone. Um, mentioned it in our comments that Steve Wacker's moving to the West Coast to get closer to you and I. So I think that, that was... <laughs> uh, he's, that, he's leaving Marvel Comics and he's going to Marvel Animation, apparently. Yeah. Apparently, because it's not been officially announced. This is all from the Bleeding Cool report. Yeah. Everyone I, on Twitter that works with him has been like, Steve Wacker is a great American. Steve, like, like Arun Singh from 
ex of Marvel Comics publicity and now of Marvel Studios publicity, right. actually seriously said that he was one of the most influential figures in comics this century. Wait, this well, this century is fourteen. Yeah, you, c- you can make that argument because mm-hmm. if you think about the fact that he edited fifty-two, yeah, and did thrice weekly Spider-Man and Daredevil and Hawkeye, you could you could at least say he's one of the most influential editors. Yeah, I think so. I think I, you know, I I was like, Arc! and I'm like, yeah, I, I would almost say that considering, <sighs> yeah, I I would I would I would I would be inclined to go along with that. I had that moment of finding out the news and separate from my fear that I will wake up in the dead of night and he will be scalping me. Um, I actually was very sorry about the news because I think I- he is a very good editor. Yeah, it's it's going to be very. Uh, it's been very interesting watching the reaction in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, because I saw the tweets before I saw the bleeding cool story. Mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, first of all, I was like, "Is he dead?" Because <laughs> really, people were really, really like, you know, he has done amazing things for comics, and I was like, "Holy shit!" So something really bad happened. Right. Black. Exactly. Did he get uh, fired somehow? What happened? And then I saw Mark Waits being like, "This is the worst December nineteenth ever." <laughs> I was like, oh, God, something horrible has happened. Oh, no, he's just moving jobs. Right, right. Uh, but no, he's, he's a big loss for Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, at least for those of us who uh, – and when I say those of us, I mean those of you who read Marvel comics and like to read good comics. Uh, yeah, he just had a really great eye for talent um, and a really great way at being able to let people – develop and run with their stuff in a way that was... I think that's one of the major things, because there's a lot of really talented people at Marvel across the board, Mm -hmm. but there are certain books where you feel that they have to uh, toe a line, or Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily get free reign for whatever reason, whether the property isn't one that allows them free reign, or the editor isn't one, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas with Steve Walker's books, you did always get the idea that basically they were... Saying they're doing what they want is not correct because that's never the case. Right. But at least they were able to take it further than they would elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you really got the idea that Steve Walker protected his creators. Yeah. Yeah, that certainly did seem to be the case. So, um, you know. Uh, it's, it's actually really sad that he's leaving just after uh, Lauren Sankovitz left as well. Because I think that she was developing into that a similar type of editor mm-hmm. on the Avengers books, mm-hmm. and the fact that both of them are gone is is really kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is sad. Uh, so your your um, your Spidey conspiracy sense isn't tingling by having two two editors like jump within so no. short. No, I mean. No, my Spidey conspiracy sense is all over. Like it's on other subjects, as you know. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't really think there's anything to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from, I mean, it's a great time for Marvel to make these changes because, let's face it, they're going to have their pick of DC's editors. Yeah, yeah, I kind of think so too. In a lot of cases, as it, I mean, Will yeah. Moss has already gone over there. Exactly. That's exactly uh, which is a great mention. hire for Marvel, as yeah. we said. Will Moss was a really, really good editor at DC and involved in a lot of good stuff and everyone who worked with him had really good things to say. Right, which makes me think that he could potentially really thrive in the Marvel environment, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's possible. He's apparently taken over Lauren Sankovic's books. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tweeted that he was going to be dealing more with the um Avengers and Marvel Heroes characters. Uh, I'm really curious who's going to take over the the Spider Office. Yes, if it's just going to be like promoting from within, because that's a fairly sizable office now. I think. Uh, yeah, it is. It is indeed. Uh, or if you know, 
if if they're going to get someone else take over. It's very interesting that it's coinciding with all the rumors about Dan, the end of Dan Slott's Spider-Man. Mm. Which I don't know if you've heard that. Mm-hmm. I have not heard that. There are, and I'm not entirely sure why, there are rumors going about that uh, issue, I think, 30 of Spear Spider-Man is not only the last issue of Spear Spider-Man, but it's the last issue of Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man. Wow. Um, one of the rumors is, and I think this is wishful thinking more than anything based in facts, but I've seen it in a few places this week, is that uh, Matt Fraction's going to take over Spider-Man now that he's not doing Inhuman. Mm. Hmm. Uh, which would be super interesting. Right, right. Uh, because Fraction did a Spider-Man annual a few years ago that was really good. Oh, yeah, quite good. And in fact, um, he did one of his stronger um, batch of initial Iron Man issues was that Spider-Man yeah, crossover Spider-Man, issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I quite believe like he could do the character. Mm-hmm. Um, there are m- many other reasons why I don't think that would happen. Yeah. But, yeah, for some reason there's, there's lots of rumors that Dan Slott's going to be off Spider-Man, which seems kind of weird. I would have been really surprised if, honestly, he did finish with the end of Superior Spider-Man and didn't have some sort of, like, just resetting the status quo going on. I think so, too, actually. It doesn't quite jibe with me, for whatever reason. I mean, we'll have to see how it all pans out. But that there's just... Both ends of that do not sound that right. I, the idea that if Wacker's leaving, that, that Slot might be leaving as well sort of makes a lot more sense to me. But even then, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm not totally on board that. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to say, I think that Mark Wade's This is the Worst December 19th Ever mm-hmm. uh, tweet, vague as it was, is completely connected to Steve Wacker leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would be really Because he actually later clarified it was a work-related thing and not a personal thing. Basically, because he said that and everyone on Twitter was like, holy shit, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'd be like, I'm fi- it's nothing personal. It's work. Right. Um, but I really think that's that's related to Steve Wacker leaving. Yeah, and it, and understandably, mm-hmm. because I think that the creators in the various books are going to be losing a champion. Yes, with, with Wacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it seems it seems highly likely that uh, even when dealing with uh, as much um, editorial mandated stuff as the Spider offices had to deal with, you know, I think that. I think that they were able to to get really fresh takes and fresh directions out of him. You know, that the Wacker was really able to lead that. So, yeah, it's a it's a very um, it's a it's a strange time. It's a strange transition time for Marvel. Um, it's it's odd. I have to admit that it was very odd. It, it was it was an unexpected piece of news for me. That's for sure. It, the timing was odd. It just in that you know. I think I was going to say I think we're all in the holiday season mindset, but that's totally not true. It has been a ridiculous couple of weeks for news. Right, right, it exactly. Has been stupidly busy for comics news mm-hmm. in the last weeks. Right. Um, but yeah, just the idea of of this being an—I mean, maybe it's announced because he's going to start January in the new job. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. The, the the timing was was odd. I just doing announcing something like that, you know, less than a week before Christmas, just is like, huh. That's weird, but it, not to any conspiracy level. Well, just... not not even not just a week before Christmas, but <clears throat> if I'm not wrong, it's it's also the day before the DC transition thing, right? Yeah, I I think that's coincidence. <laughs> you 
Well, you don't, like I can't see a connection. Sure, you know? I've never known Marvel to try and steal the spotlight off of DC's news cycle before. That has never sure, happened. but DC does. But DC doesn't want this in the news cycle because tomorrow is the deadline for staffers in New York saying we're staying or we're coming with you. Right. So I mean, that's not Marvel. You know, Marvel likes to issue press releases for everything. DC does not. DC would rather no one even knew that deadline existed. Well, that's true. I suppose that's probably true. So, I mean, if Marvel were trying to be dicks to DC, they would have... Well, first of all, they would have announced this news as opposed to letting Rich get it. Mm -hmm. But then they would have announced it with, here's an editor who's happily going to the West Coast. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, complete with a photo of him with his packed bags and a big... Sure, exactly. And being like, you know... I, I, thumbs up, right? You know, right. Photoshop pictures of him on a plate or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's. I I I really think that's just coincidence. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm you know I'm glad I'm not in DC today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I, I I don't know. I just I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of glad you're not in DC any day, Graham. But maybe that's just <laughs> no. But you know what I mean. Like today is going to be. So, listeners, because we should probably put this in context, uh, we're recording this on Thursday the 19th of December. Friday the 20th of December is the day in which the DC staffers in the New York office basically have to say, we're leaving the company or we're coming with you to LA. Right. Uh, That's the deadline for saying whether they're going to move. Never mind the fact the move is in 2015. (laughs) They actually have to say tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. whether they're whether they're going to do it or not, and you know that's I I can't even imagine it to be honest. I can't imagine the whole in over a year from now, but like by when the news broke, when they were given the choice, in eighteen months from now, will you want to move across the country? Right, because there's like there's so much that you don't know that's going to happen in those next eighteen months. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. You're really relying on like, will I will I still want to work at DC Comics? Will I still have a job at DC Comics? Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a huge chunk of that that really depends on what sort of compensation packages are in place too. Yeah, because you know? I I think if the compensation's good enough, I can see a lot of people being like, eh, I should just take a jump, you know. But but I, if- well, really though, because. Uh, I I have talked to some people who have been given this offer, mm-hmm. and they have pointed out quite rightfully that you know it's not just them; it's their families. No, 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 no. That's what I mean. I, I'm sorry. When I say take All the jump, hilariously, I mean take the jump from DC, not not, yeah, would, yeah. not take the jump across coast, which would okay. I, th- I thought so make, no, which is actually a better use of the language. So it makes sense that you think that. But no, no. I mean, if the compensation package is good, I think a lot of those people would be like, I'm not going to move my family, and you know. I've got publishing experience, you know, and the bulk of the publishing industry is still in New York. You know, I think well, that's... You, yeah, but at the same time, you have comics publishing experience, which right. is a very strange thing. Yeah. Um, and also, what other comics publishers are really in New York these days? You've got Marvel, obviously. You've got yeah. Valiant. Right. And that's it, right? I Like, in New Jersey, you've got Dynamite. Mm-hmm. In Florida, you've got Archie. Right. So that's all well that's so that's all sort of East Coast work and that's that's a pretty good chunk there. I mean, when you switch to the left coast, it's like you've got D C, you've got Image, which really isn't a company. You've got IDW. Yeah, you've, you've got, got IDW. Shelf, you've got Oni, you've right. got Dark Horse. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I mean, those are like those are most the majority of those are pretty far up the coast. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would be really hard for anyone work anyone who jumps to LA. It's kind of like they're going to have DC, they're going to have IDW. Well, yeah, and also as I've heard it put to me, by making the decision to jump to LA, mm-hmm. you're also literally prioritizing your job amongst uh, above everything else in your life. Right. Because the only people you're going to know there are the people you work with. Right. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, there there might be some ambitions for people who, you know, have always wanted to try making the – it seems like it would be easier possibly to make the jump from editing or writing into some sort of, you know, if you, if you really want to try breaking into quote-unquote Hollywood, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a very – I mean, the, the rumors are – that far less people are making the move than DC would have wanted. Right, I think that which that is would not the case. surprising. To yeah, be perfectly honest. Oh, completely. After after the last year or so, I really get this. I can't even imagine that the majority of DC's editorial is happy with the way DC editorial is being handled. You know, much less the contentiousness that's being played out with the freelancing community. I don't think that that's what a lot of editors signed on board for. You know. So, um, so yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. I think that it's going to be an attempt for DC to really. I think they, I think they wanted a certain degree of shakeup, but it would not surprise me if they wanted less than they're going to end up getting. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very, of uh, a year plus to quote unquote fix whatever problems. But I think it's going to be a very rough move. Mm-hmm. I, I think by the time we get two comics produced from the West Coast, mm-hmm. it's going to be a significantly different looking DC this there. Which, you know, may not necessarily be the worst thing. Well, see, there is that. You know, there is kind of a thing of sort of how much do they have to lose, you know? I mean, for, from a from a corporate perspective, again, a lot of this depends on compensation packages and stuff, but, you know, DC's got some really, really, really entrenched, long-standing editorial people there that they may not, they, you know, with that, and the traditionally people at that level suck up a lot of your budget and resources. I mean, you're exchanging that in turn for, like, tremendous amounts of experience yeah exactly exactly you're like it's cheaper but on the minus side nobody actually knows how to put together a comic anymore right exactly so um but you know uh, considering considering how strangely dc has been running i mean frankly the, the the cheap shot would be the idea that you know dan didio doesn't know how to put together a comic has not stopped him you know, in the slightest from thriving. So, yeah, it's, I, it's you know, it's going to, it's going to be very weird. It's going to be very weird. I just, I'm fascinated by the extent to which, um, Marvel really seems to be, they want to, they definitely want to invest in their Marvel, in Marvel animation, you know? Um, it sure well, seems to me. Understandably. Yeah. Because through the Disney connection, that's like, there's a, there's a, a mm-hmm. lot of money, <laughs> right, in Marvel animation. Yeah, if if they do it right, right. Well, uh, that, what, that... what's super weird is putting Steve Wacker there. Where what's interesting is I've seen lots of people saying like he can fix Marvel animation. I'm not entirely sure Marvel animation is broken. 
Well, uh, yeah, that's I, a very I think, good question. That's, I think from a, a comic fan perspective, mm-hmm. it's not what they want to see. Mm-hmm. But I think from a Disney is not stupid, Disney wants to appeal to the mass audience. Right. I think they're probably doing it just fine. Right. Right. I would be I would be kind of curious to figure out sort of in that sense there is a little bit of what like kind of like what do they what do they think that you know sort of like in that sense what do they think that Wacker is going to bring you know what I mean because it's not exactly like he brings a substantial level unless unless I you know there's an entire side of him that I don't know which is well the likely. yeah but the alternative is this. It's not what is Wacker going to bring as much as Wacker was looking to make a change. Yeah, I think that's and it. And became available yeah. and like he took it. Yeah. Because I, yeah. realistically, where else is Steve Wacker going to go in Marvel Publishing right now? Right, right. Yeah, the top seems pretty entrenched. So, You um, know, so that that makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, that it could just be he was looking to advance and you he can't really advance within publishing right now. Right, and so they moved him over to animation. That's kind of what I think. Is, is It's a little bit of a... Yeah, like, you're doing tremendous work, you want to advance, here's where we can place you. It will be interesting to see sort of how that thrash out, because it does seem like animation is a very different beast out there. Um, but, you know... Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I do think that um, Marvel Publishing is going to be worse off with a I, I, I yeah. think it's. I do think that his loss is going to be felt, and I am super curious now what this means for books like Captain Marvel mm-hmm. uh, and Hawkeye and D- Daredevil. Right. Those look. Those books in particular. Yeah. Uh, I think that unless someone is taking over Captain Marvel, who really, really, really stands behind it like Wacker has. Yeah. I think the second volume is going to disappear really quickly we will see we will see you know um it's funny because i actually did i tell you that i finally got around to reading avengers endless wartime no yeah uh someone was kind of how how was that (laughs) oh man man. you know um, it's a shame because it's one of those classic like uh uh, I I felt like I had a pretty good handle on it before seeing like um one of the one of our commenters in a thread was kind of like yeah I wonder if you guys I wonder if anyone's really talked about and it was this really beautiful point if you knew your anime like it might have been something where it's like yeah the the creatures are taken right out of you know Mecha Genesis Evangelion or something like that something that I don't follow don't know and I was like huh. You know, like, maybe Ellis is sort of totally on point with some sort of crazy superheroes versus anime level of meta text. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, my initial take on Endless Wartime is like, oh, this is really like, it, it really felt to me like someone had either had like commissioned him to do an Avengers 2 treatment and then we're like well we're not going to do it but you know let's just you know throw you know you a bone and get this set up as an as a novel cuz it seemed very very much more influenced by Avengers the movie than a lot of other 
and and which has not been much, but even the various little bits and pieces of say Hickman's oh. Avengers and other things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much more uh, Avengers the movie than it is Avengers the comic. Let's be honest. Yeah, hugely, hugely so. Um, and yet, in the scope of that, I don't know if it you know exactly rolled around because because um, you know. Uh, Deconic and, and Fraction are, are tight with Ellis, but I did think that the level of Captain Marvel interaction in that book made me think that, like, there have been some ideas and some rumors that, that, that Marvel is going to put an emphasis on bringing Captain Marvel into the movies and the media, um, which I think think would be a really smart idea um yeah it's it's so smart i can't believe yeah they're gonna do it (laughs) no i can't it's so smart i can't believe they've not done it yet it seems like a Mm -hmm, mm no-brainer well i think i think they are going to bring i think i would not surprise me if that is something that they're going to to rectify although i suspect they're going to sort of like black widow just fold her within you know the background of one of their other movies, I suppose, and develop the, the it that internet way. will fucking explode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of which is to say, if that scenario is at all likely, and it seems so common sense, you would like to believe that that would be the case. Um, it seems to me that that the reboot of Captain Marvel would have enough attention and interest, sort of the same way that that Marvel. M- made noises about supporting the Winter Soldier title until it just became apparent that the sales really were not there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think that there's I think that there's a shot at that. But but I agree. If that's not the scenario, then I think I'm not as worried about Daredevil because it's gotten it you know, it seems to me I mean, that Daredevil and Hawkeye have the sales. Yeah. They've got the sales and they've got a certain amount of traditional prestige, I guess. You know what I mean? I think, and I think Captain Marvel's a little more of a, um, you know, it's still a cult favorite, even when you measure it by the, you know, innately cult favorite stand, standards of big on the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's really interesting is Captain Marvel is extremely big on the internet. Mm-hmm. Like one of Marvel's biggest books in terms of fandom, vocal mm-hmm. fandom on the internet. Right. And its sales are just not anywhere near that. It's kind of amazing. It's like, so I guess everyone buying this book is talking about it on the internet. Right, right. Which may well be. I mean, I would be I would be really curious about that. I mean, that, that I feel is like the biggest lesson that I have to keep in mind, you know, from, from my last few years of retailing at Comics Experience was just the, you know, the internet is not reality. It would be great in some cases for comics fandom if it was, but I still feel that it's a long, long ways from making that gap. Cer- certainly, it seems to be the case at, at a place like Comics Experience where you would think that wouldn't be the case. Now, I'm sure that someone like, you know, James Simon Isotope might make an entirely different claim, but uh, but uh, so I really, I, I I don't think you can really argue with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you just have to look at the sales figures. Well, see, and that's it. When you look at the sales figures, it does seem to be the case. Unless there's, like, some huge, you know, lump of dark matter, like, you know, that instead of having 
ten percent you know digital reflecting like ten percent of the newsstand sales in the case of Captain Marvel it's actually forty percent of the newsstand or something like that or by newsstand I guess direct market sales you know the print versus digital I just yeah I don't it is interesting it's a it's you know like you said it's a hugely vocal vocal fan base but you know, but the sales are not anywhere near, as far as I can recall, they're not anywhere near even Daredevil or Hawkeye sales. You know, they're like half. They're, they're. I mean, they they're, really are. Yeah, they're like. I want. I want to say Hawkeye somewhere around forty thousand, and I know that Captain Marvel has dipped below twenty. Yes, if it's if it's below twenty, I think that's that. It, that is a sign. And traditionally, Marvel has been a lot more aggressive. Yes. Traditionally, you get close to twenty. You stay around like twenty or twenty-one for long enough, and you're you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Whereas, like, it's you know, it used to be much more common for DC to let things dip down to sixteen or you know, twelve. Um, <laughs> DC these days, some of their titles are under ten, and they're still going. Wow, amazing! Really? Yeah, I I was really surprised that when I was looking at the last sales chart, I was like, holy crap! I mean, there are things that are. You know, reasonably close to ending, mm-hmm. you think? But yeah, there. I want to say there's Stormwatch has been. I want to say under ten for a couple of months. Yeah, although I just can't imagine like Stormwatch is cancelled. It is. It's, it's ending with issue thirty, I think. Right. But, but did um, they issue the cancellation notice at like issue twenty one or something? Because I just feel like that's one no, that I just. <laughs> No, Jim Starlin took over around then. You might you might get the two mixed up. <laughs> it's like giving a cancellation notice. Whoa, no, whoa, whoa. Stormwatch, Stormwatch, it was one of those books, because it's DC. DC doesn't right. officially cancel books anymore. Right. They either say final issue in the solicits, or they don't, and the book just isn't solicited the next month. And then like, oh, that's right, we meant to tell you guys. Well, <laughs> again, I have a certain amount of, you can't blame them for that, though, can you? I mean... Because for me, one of the things that sort of appalled me was how when a, when a cancellation's announced, if it's announced far enough, like, all the retailers stop, stop stocking it, you know? They're completely like, well, I'm not going to stock it. It's the last six issues. Sales are only going to decline, and then it's going to end. Why should I waste my money? And I'm just kind of like, huh, okay, well, you know that's – you do see the next step of where this is going to lead, right? And it is. It's just, you know, Marvel and DC are just like, well, we're not we'll, – we'll let you know when, it, when the time is right, you know, a.k.a. Yeah. at the last issue mark. So um, – Oh, talking about uh, hilarious solicitations. Have you seen that um, Hawkeye issue 16 is coming out before Hawkeye issue 15? No, okay, no. I did not see that. I saw that yeah, there was some sort it's of... Coming really? out, it's coming out a month before. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're, they're both, like, really... Like, they're both resolicited. Because Hawkeye is horrifically late at this point. I don't know if you saw the, Mar- the March solicitations, but um, Hawkeye issue 18 coming out in March is a Christmas issue. <laughs> So, you know, Hawkeye is seriously behind. But yeah, issue 16 is coming out before issue 15. Wow. Wow. I did not even realize that that was the case. Fuck I, I find that hilarious. Why can't like, they just... I don't understand. Is it is it because they don't want to have to, like, redo the solicits? Like, just, just swap the numbers around, you know? Well, what, what I have seen... Mm-hmm. Uh, mentioned as an op- as a possibility 
uh, and I can't remember who said it. Someone said it to me on Twitter today when I was like, is this really happening? Uh, they went, well, don't forget that they're alternating artists and alternating storylines. So what's obviously happened is Annie Wu has finished her issue before David Aha has. Right. But if you just flip the numbering, then each of those two issues becomes returnable because it's different from what the solicit was. Okay, that's what I thought. See, I kind of figured that was the case, was that they would have to worry about returnability. But, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Well, I have to say, that's, I mean, see, and this is the thing that's kind of great, is this like, we're still, you know, and, and Hawkeye's still an acclaimed book. You know what I mean? Like, it's clearly, how do I put it? There is a little level of, as frustrating as those sorts of shenanigans are, um, there is at least a belief for me that the the reason why it's happening is basically to get the best book out possible that can happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So it really is. It's one of those situations. Whatever's happening with Hawkeye, it's... It does not seem like it's easily fixable, and I think to their credit, Marvel is continuing to try and figure out a way to accommodate that. I think, you know, Hawkeye's had a very bad year. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, it will because fifteen's uh, just been delayed. It will have managed, I think, eight issues this year, right? Uh, and basically, sort of disappeared from the stands for like three months altogether. Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's Fraction being horrifically overworked. I really would not be surprised if it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's Aha being slow and Fraction being overworked. But if you think about it, it's had eight issues this year, of which I want to say five have been David Aha. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and the guy's... I, mean, I don't think he's an especially fast artist. I mean, so there is that. No, but... My point is more, I think that, and I've said this elsewhere, I think that the draw of Hawkeye isn't the character. Mm-hmm. And isn't even necessarily Matt Fraction, but it's Matt Fraction and David Aha together. Yeah, I think so too. I think and so if you too. consider that, so, okay, so I'm now looking, it's managed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight issues, mm-hmm. of which one, two, three, four issues have been David Aha. Right, right. Uh, and you've had the. Uh, Sandy issue in there. You've had two Francesco Francavia and you had Nanny Wu. Mm. Yeah. No slouches. Uh, you know, no, I mean, it's, it's continued to be a great looking book. Right. But if if your core, like if your marketing is like, it's a classic book with these guys hitting their, you know, hitting the stride and being great, and one of them is literally missing for half the issues. Right. Right, right, right. Well, okay, but the flip side of that, Graham, because I see your point, but, you know, one of the things that was really sobering to me to look back on uh, my my beloved Marvel age of, of when I was a kid is how many of the books that I loved and profoundly loved were bi-monthly books, you know? Yeah, I, I would, yeah, I think if they officially made it bi-monthly, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that would be a bad idea. Or if they just did the Saga model, or uh, Saga and everyone else model, he says that image, right. of finish a storyline, then take your time off until you come back with this next storyline. Yeah. I think that would be to its benefit as well. Right. I think, in a weird way, Hawkeye is one of those books that would really benefit from being cancelled and relaunched. Mm, interesting. 
Interesting. I and just just give them the time to get some issues in the can. Mm. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I I could see. I almost feel like I'm not sure that Marvel has the kind of. Um, goodwill with the retailers like I'm not sure the retailers have enough faith really that if it would be one thing if it was like okay they're canceling it and they're relaunching it like almost immediately but the idea that they were going to cancel allow themselves a little bit of time to get ahead and then come back seems a little unlikely to me I think I, you know, oh I, I definitely think they get away with it yeah yeah, because they'd just be like, it's Mad Fraction and David Ah together again. Right. Those guys. <laughs> Those guys. New York Times bestselling, you know, nominated for Eisner Awards, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you could definitely sell that. Now, I'm curious, what the fuck is going on with the Daredevil cancellation relaunch? I am really baffled. Not that I've been following it closely, but is uh, it... Short version, it's a fake out. Okay, right. Uh, they're cancelling it with issue 36, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, then there is a weekly digital comic for four weeks. Okay. And then they're relaunching it in print. Okay. That so, makes I mean, a lot of sense. I, I really think that the cancellation is a non-existent cancellation. Like, I think there's an issue in February, and I think the new series starts in March. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I was kind of curious because it did seem like I'd heard about this online series and some other stuff, and I was just entirely confused. Entirely yeah. Confused. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, the, the last issue of the current series is, I really want to say it's February. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Wade and Peter Krause do a digital series for four weeks. Right. And then the new Wade Family series starts uh, in March. Oh, okay. So it's Wade and Krause doing the, doing the digital? Yes. It's not? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which is literally the story of Daredevil driving across the country to move to San Francisco. <laughs> I am not joking. That's literally what the story, the, the plot is. Which I think is actually pretty great. That could be it's really kind of, It's kind of hilarious. It could be a really, really funny idea. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, so I take it, I, considering the amount of time that we've given it, uh, I assume that it's safe to say that... Um, Steve Wacker basically leaving Marvel editorial to the extent that it's actually confirmed and legit. That's one of the big news stories for comics, would you say, in 2013? Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, we'll see how it ends up playing out. It could, it well, could be a potentially like, you know, huge game changer. It could be a it could be a huge game changer. It could also not be. Mm-hmm. Like if if someone from his office gets promoted and turns out to basically just keep everything sailing right on. Right. Then we'll look back and be like, huh, I guess that wasn't a big deal after all. Right. I think where it'll really impact whether whoever takes over the books mm-hmm. is I think Wacker had a really good relationship with creators, both ones he worked with and ones he didn't. Yes. And a really good eye for talent and a really good eye for bringing people onto titles that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Um, and so I think we might see a more conservative Marvel. Right. Uh, without him there. I'm, but, you know, we'll see because you've got Will Moss there and you're inevitably going to get new editors there who might follow in, you know, Wacker's footsteps in terms of mm-hmm. launching titles. Right. Right. So it, it really is very, very hard to, to say at this point. Right now it feels very big. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, do you have other picks for big news stories? I know this is something you were complaining about when we first started talking, but I might as well try and uh, right now the biggest news story for me is uh, Marvel becoming DC. Like, mm-hmm. Marvel 2013 becoming DC in 2011. 
and the completely different attitude of the fans mm-hmm. and how much of that is down to Marvel getting ahead of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will ask for a bit more clarification there. Okay, yeah. so in the last week, mm-hmm. no, let's say two weeks. In the last two weeks, you have had David Morrell saying uh, Marvel completely edited my story and I gave them the corrections and then they published it without corrections. Right. You then had Zeb Wells leaving Elektra and being replaced by Hayden Blackman. Right. You then had Matt Fraction getting taken off of uh, Inhuman and mm-hmm. getting replaced with Charles Sewell. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, if you look at the you know, basic updates of you know who's doing what in each book, multiple artists are doing Marvel books now. Right. As in, it's not like one artist finishes an issue. Right. Uh, the, the shipping updates continually have, like, we said it was going to be by Artist X. It's actually by Artist X, Artist Y, and Artist Z. Mm-hmm. Um, all of which is incredibly similar to what happened when the New 52 started. I mean, sure. amazingly mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is, DC said nothing. DC basically kept their heads down. Right. Uh, and all of this news either came out via solicits or via creators going, yeah, I'm not doing that comic anymore. The editorial and I couldn't agree on it, on what we were doing, so I thought it would be best to step aside. Mm-hmm. And so the narrative became, DC, you are fucking up. Mm-hmm. You are terrible. You're not letting creators do what you want. This is the end of the world. You are a terrible company. Mm-hmm. Marvel is doing exactly the same thing, but Marvel announces everything via press by press release. Right. You know, it's not just Charles Sewell taking over. It's we are so excited. We saw his pitch, and his pitch was really fucking great. I was bowled over by what he's going to do. And then you have an interview with Matt Fraction. He's like, "We're all friends. I didn't get fired. What are you talking about? No." We're all friends. And you see people just being like, well, obviously, they're doing what's best for the book. Right. You know, I, you know, it doesn't matter that they're not letting – that what Matt Fraction wants to do wasn't good enough. You know, they're really just doing what's best for the company. It's their company after all. And it's just amazing that literally putting the smiling face on it right. has, has everyone going, well, I guess it's for the best. Look, right. they all look happy. Right. Well, they all look happy. That's a huge thing right there. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot to be said of – don't you think that a huge difference of that is also the fact that they actually are, for whatever reason, they've got Fraction there going, yeah, this is great. You know what I mean? As opposed to the way – I feel that a lot of the people who departed DC quite suddenly were diplomatic but not in a – like, hey, we're all friends kind of way. Just sort of what more I, what of I think uh, like... Was was if you look back at what uh, Josh Fialkoff said mm-hmm. when he left uh, Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns. Right. It is remarkably close to what Fraction said in his interview with CBR mm-hmm. about human. Like, mm-hmm. remarkably close. Mm-hmm. Even to the point where he's like, you know, we're, we just couldn't come to an agreement. You know, it's their book. They, you know, they, they've got every right. I just stepped aside because it wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people were like, "DC, <laughs> you sh- you should cease to exist. People should be fired over this." And I, I think it really does just come down to having coming down to telling people everything's okay. Right. We've got this, you guys. We've got this. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And people are like, "Well, okay, I guess they know what they're doing." It's stunning to me. I, I'm. Uh, did you see the Outhouse's joke today? No. The Outhouse are showing a story. I'm loading the site right now, so we might get very, very strange. Um, Marvel gets away with murder, is the headline. 
Uh, emboldened by the non-reaction to Matt Fraction's unceremonious departure from Inhuman, Marvel confirmed last night that they can commit murder and get away with it. <laughs> At approximately 5.37pm, the popular comics publisher calmly walked into the middle of Times Square and sought, uh, shot Jamal Reddington, a 54-year-old tourist from North Dakota, with a small-caliber pistol. After watching his victim bleed out on the sidewalk, Marvel pulled out his phone and took several pictures of the corpse, posted the pictures on Facebook and Instagram, and then returned to his office unimpeded by a small crowd of comic press creators and fans looked on. Several members of the comic book press present at the time of the murder either declined comment or rushed to refuse to judgment. It seems that Marvel did everything in its power not to shoot Mr. Reddington, said one CBR reporter, who declined to be named in case Marvel decided to come after them next. Really? It looks like Reddington got in the way of Marvel's bullet. I don't really think that's Marvel's fault. <laughs> Marvel later released a brief interview in CBR featuring their explanation of the events. The article explained that while Marvel did shoot Mr. Reddington, it wasn't murder, as Reddington, uh, as Reddington and he and the company had mutually agreed that he should die. <laughs> oh, yes. What's the spirit of Mr. Reddington saying? It was totally a mutual decision. I have no ill will towards Marvel whatsoever, and I look forward to watching Galaxians of the Galaxy in the afterlife. <laughs> Reactions to the article was largely positive, as they felt Mr. Reddington's statements from beyond the grave helped clear the publisher from culpability in any crime. Good of Marvel not to sugarcoat things, said one fan on Twitter. I largely approve of their actions and will blindly support their books in the future. That's great. I really have to say, I've not been following these guys at all, but... Part is the final paragraph, which is when asked why they chose not to mock and satirize the incident, Outhouse editor chief Christian Hoffer explained that not every publishing snafu was worth covering. If we negatively covered every little publishing incident that occurred, people would just accuse us of being negative for the sake of it. Wait, I just got a text from the DC intern saying he got a paper cut and couldn't find a band aid in the DC offices. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I have to give this I, some props. I, I, I was like, yes, okay, that one is very funny. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it really is. It's a Marvel tells you it's okay, and everyone's like, well, that's fine. I, I, I honestly was like, someone in DC right now is like, oh, wait, we could have just told them not to worry. And they would have been okay. <laughs> we actually could have just said, okay, you guys, just calm down. Well, maybe – Maybe. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I do feel that there is – I'm always surprised when I go into comments, threads, and people are still kind of baying for the blood of Dan DiDio, you know? Like, whereas by contrast, I really do feel that the closest you see to that is you'll have someone talking about, you know, basically how Joe Joe Casada should get the can for the one more day thing. Where it's just like, wait, 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 you're still bringing that up? You know what I mean? Like, I, and this may not map perfectly. And of course, it's like only on the most slender of anecdotal things. But I have to say that a, when Marvel now rolled out the majority of what it was going to do, and I, I was like, well, that's just not going to work. I really feel like by and large, Marvel now did work or at least was you know it yeah i would have to say worked they managed to relaunch yeah i mean marvel got a bump on all of their titles i mean sure in some cases that bump went away incredibly quickly but marvel has basically been given the go-ahead to if things get slow just relaunch a title well i think they were already doing that before i think what happened is that now they are that, that they can aggressive to to me it's more a matter of 
Marvel was like, we're going to reboot these, we're going to reboot them at three ninety nine, you know, and we're going to publish them more than monthly. People are not going to, and there's not really going to be a, a, a severe diminishment in quality, and we're not going to lose sales over it. And I think, by and large, that's true. I think that Marvel has made, you know, the the, the and and I could be wrong because honestly, it is one of those number crunchery type things. But I mean. In theory, with Spider-Man selling, Superior Spider-Man selling what it's selling, and successfully more or less shipping twice weekly, I mean, sorry, twice monthly, if sometimes not a little more, um, that's, to me, I'm still kind of stunned by that. I'm really stunned by the by the fact that we're looking at a situation you know, a year down the road where I feel like everyone has more or less accepted that three ninety nine comic books are the norm and Marvel is turning out ridiculous amounts of product within its of its core titles and there's some complaining, but there's not actually the lack of there's not actually the contraction that I think that you would have that I certainly expected to see. Yeah, I, I Marvel has successfully redefined three ninety nine as the norm, yeah. and also uh, completely irregular publishing schedules as the norm as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they have successfully just said our books are three ninety nine. Get used to it. Uh, you know, occasionally we'll give you a free digital code, right? Uh, but also our books come out when they come out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people are just like, that's great. Right. I mean, I don't. Ha- I don't have to wait four weeks. I could wait two or maybe six. <laughs> that, that's great. I'm totally on board. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's, but again, they just said that, that was okay, and everyone was like, "Oh, I guess it's okay then." But I think a lot of people that, were a lot more contentious with that at the beginning than were six or nine months down the road. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I'm not so? sure. Yeah. I think I think there was a little bit of nervousness, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I think Marvel now was met with far less nervousness than the announcement of the new Fifty Two. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. But but um, I guess I think I do think that the direct market's love affair with Marvel um, is not surprising. Right? I mean, that's not necessarily seeing that Marvel is able to get away with things with relative impunity in in the comics press and with popular opinion. I mean, that was is, hasn't that always been the case? I don't think that. I mean, is it just more the idea that what I don't know? I, I, is I so think, much I think more aggressively. Yeah, I think it has. But I, I mean, really, and I don't know why, but I just feel like this week in particular, I mean, like CBR is being incredibly. What can we do for you, Marvel? Oh yeah, and I, I, you know that that's been a running joke for the longest time. I don't think I've ever really agreed with it until this week. And this week I've just been like, oh my god! I think it was the, their Agents of Shield story yesterday, mm. where I was just like, but like the one to bunch of the the Alonzo Fraction interview, right? And then the Agents of Shield story yesterday, right. and it was just like, this is amazing. Did you see that Agents of Shield story? No, I didn't. So basically, it's a uh, we're going to investigate what's going on with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s ratings because they have fallen 45% since the show started. <laughs> okay? And I swear to God, the guy is like, okay, there's two reasons why this might happen. 
it's the fans' fault or it was overhyped. <laughs> and like at no point does he like maybe the show sucks. Right. Like maybe people checked it out and they didn't like it. That's not even on the table. Wow. What is, what's the his, definition of the fans' fault? His, his basic argument is basically this show, like, you guys have to understand you're not going to get a movie. TV's cheaper. You just have to change your expectations of what yeah, you're getting. The, change, the changing of your expectations appears to be the big narrative, I think, in in comics, I think, over the last few years. And I think Marvel's been sort of much more egregious with it. I mean... Uh, to to potentially drag us off topic again after after you firmly landed us on one that thing on Tom Brevoort's form springs the whole like you know numbers ain't nothing but numbers you know uh, where he talked about the idea that that having a number in the book something like it serves a it has it serves a purpose but it has no intrinsic value which you know I'm still recovering from there's just that level of like. You know, well, listen. You've got you guys have got to get used to it. We would we you know we love the idea of telling good stories. That's what we're always working with. But we have to be realistic, you know. And just kind of a weird, strange kind of we're all in this together, and really you can't expect too much kind of stage of things. Really seems to be the new the new narrative. I feel you know. Like, it, at least at Marvel, going all the way back to the classic Fear Itself, like, you know, no look, the character said it, so it happened. You know, defense. Um, I just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's... I, I, so do you think Marvel is doing this more than other people, or do you think the Marvel is just getting away with it more? Well, I think that probably getting away with it more means that they're able to get away with it more. You know, it's it's they. I mean, they get away with it more, so they're going to say it more. Then, then when they get away with it, they get they. You know what I mean? I feel like DC is very because they don't reach out to the press as much because I think they're relatively quasi terse in their their interactions and they're not always trying to spin things like when they do come out with spin it usually feels a little undercooked and not successful like that classic two bo- two bobs in a weave or whatever that uh bob harris bobby chase call oh that, yeah that, that was that was <laughs> That was an amazing call. Was that 2013? If that was 2013, I think we can put that down as one of the greatest stinky ideas ever. Yeah, I think that was because I think I, I while rereading my show notes, I you know, I at least recycled my joke. So, uh, but no, yeah, that was that was great because that really was. We can do what Marvel do, only to show that they really couldn't. They, they really couldn't. So Marvel does seem to have like a combination of facility plus. Um, just absolute, you know, unmitigated chutzpah to actually do it. But I, I, but I also think that there is a little, you know, the the tides really favor Marvel. I think in that regard, you know. Yeah, and I think I think they always will. I mm-hmm. think if it was ever going to change, it was going to be the new Fifty Two, right? Uh, and you know, to be blunt, DC just shot itself in the fucking foot with the way it handled the initial issues of the new 52. Mm-hmm. It really did. And it, it poisoned the well, probably for good. Right. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. I, I, I can't at this point see a scenario where 
DC can get back the goodwill it lost between New 52 and Before Watchmen. I, I, I can't. I think it's just gone. I think DC could, for a fucking year, give all of their profits to starving orphans. And there would be a large percentage of people going, they're only doing it for, for the publicity. Right. I think people just have learned to hate DC and to massively distrust everything they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think in the past they had a sort of... I think they had a very smart choice in that they seemed to very actively court the retailers, I suppose, mm-hmm. knowing that the yeah. retailers were essentially their first line of their customers. Their customers, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and then not worry as much about the, the second line, which is the, the comic book customers, uh, comic book store customers. But now I actually think that they're in they're kind of in the shit with the retailers, who, again, the retailers, for the most part, I feel a lot of them tend to tend to skew Marvel anyway. So I don't know. You know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting world because you would think with all of these things that Marvel would still have a much larger chunk of the marketplace than it does. And I'm just curious how much the expansion of image in the marketplace and actually a whole bunch of other publishers in the marketplace. Is that additional money that's coming into the marketplace that wasn't before? Or is that money that is actually people jumping off of DC and Marvel at approximately the same ratio since their numbers are staying the same and sort of slowly inflating you know the ranks of, of others, other companies? I am going to split the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the new 52 specifically and to a far lesser extent Marvel now mm-hmm. have brought in new readers or lapsed readers yeah. but I think the existing DC and Marvel readers have jumped off and gone to other publishers oh interesting interesting so I, I think you know DC and Marvel are not shrinking as much as they could do otherwise mm-hmm. um, but that's because there are new people coming in Mm-hmm. And I also think that when the new Fifty Two happened, mm-hmm. the new readers didn't go to DC and only DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they they split the difference. I think mm-hmm. they they went to many people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the if you think of the, a traditional big two reader, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of traditional big two readers have have gone have jumped. But it, the, the market share between Marvel and DC is super weird. Because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much locked, which is really strange. Yeah. Because you feel like Marvel should just have more. And then when you look at the top ten from last month, it yeah. was nuts. Yeah. Harley Quinn was the second most successful book in the direct market. What the fuck is that about? How did that happen? You know, I, I was thinking about this because I remember you seeing on Twitter being like, how the fuck did that happen? I think that it was a jam issue in which the name Jim Lee was mentioned. And, well, ironically, and then you bought the issue and saw that the Jim Lee page was a reprint. Right, was was reprinted art or re- reused art, which was kind of funny. But, uh, which, but his well, name know, still ended up style, in there. Which I loved. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I have to say, I, I, uh, I was sent Harley Quinn issue one mm-hmm. this week. It's a fascinating book, but I feel in a really weird way, it could be DC's outreach book. Hmm. How so? I don't, ne- don't necessarily think it's a good book. Right. Um, there is something about it that I'm like, I think this could appeal to an entirely different audience than the traditional DC audience. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I, I kind of want them to play that up. Hmm. I think... I, I think it is very purposefully, and not entirely successful, but I think it's very purposefully DC's attempt to appeal to the Harley Quinn fans who do not read the comics. Right. Um, and part of that is Harley Quinn fans who don't even necessarily know about Batman, but know about Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And so you get her removed from all the rest of DC continuity. Right. Entirely. Uh, a whole new status quo. She, gets, she inherits a, uh, an apartment building in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she joins a roller derby team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. you know? And it's like, I totally, like, I feel like you're somewhat, somewhat scattershotting. <laughs> They're like, how can we appeal to, you know, this mythical female reader? Right. Or uh, th- theoretical reader who knows Harley Quinn character, probably from Batman the Animated Series, maybe from the video games. It's so funny, uh, because once you said, you know, inherits an apartment building from Brooklyn, I have this weird, like, are they trying to do Hawkeye, you know what I mean, like, as Harley Quinn? Like, No, if you read the book, you, you would not think that. Mm, interesting. It's, it's so totally different. Okay. Like, if they're trying to do Hawkeye, like, maybe it's set up to a Hawkeye joke. There is nothing Hawkeye about this. Okay. Um, it, it's yeah, it's it's a a very, very strange book, but, but something that I genuinely think could end up being an outreach book, unless they fuck it up. Of course, asterisk, it's DC; they will fuck it up. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, this is what I think is interesting: is is that's like you're not even saying that as in a like. I don't trust DC. You you basically just don't like I don't think anyone really has much faith in DC at this point, you know. Which is a shame. I think DC uh, I said this on Twitter earlier on today. I think the Green Lantern books are currently healthier creatively than they have been pretty much since like maybe the first couple of years of Jeff Johns run. If not way before that. Yeah, but you also don't have any faith in DC. Oh, that's just it. Yeah, I would not be surprised, not be surprised at all, if, you know, Robert Vindity ended up walking off the book for some reason. Right, right. Yeah, but historically, DC has shown itself with an unerring ability to shoot itself in the foot. (laughs) DC has, if DC has a a history, it is a history of snatching victory from, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's all it does. All it does. Look, we've published Watchmen, but we've pissed off the creator. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's kind of amazing. You know, and I, yeah, it, it's 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 stunning. It's staggering when you look back at, at basically DC does all these things right and like really right, mm-hmm. really incredibly right, and they will always, always without fail learn the wrong lessons right. and somehow undo their good work. Right. Wow. Pretty impressive. So Pretty, pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, and heartbreaking, too. So did you assemble anything like a best of list for the year? Or... or... Oh, I, could, I can tell you what... Uh, like, off the top of my head, I can tell you, for example, what I wrote about for the Wired best of list, which is coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming out over the holidays. Um, let's see. I did The End of the Fucking World, which we, we have not really discussed, because I have read it. I only read after you and I did the last podcast. I That's only read right. it in last weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I would have Battling Boy. Uh, I, God, I can't even remember what I wrote about for the comics for the last, 
<laughs> wow, you can tell that I have been maybe doing a bit too much. Boxers and Saints, I really like Zombo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, my Dirty Dumb Eyes are the, the books I wrote about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for Wired. Um, I would. I got the new Parker book yesterday, super excited, and I have to say I was horribly let down by it. Yes! Oh, I'm so glad we should talk about this. We should have talked... Yeah, let's talk about new, com- new comics before we move on to the best of list. Because I'm so glad you said that. Because I picked that up and read it and was like, oh... How did he fuck this up? Like, yeah, it was... what, what? What is it? It just does like it just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't it's work. An amazing misfire, and I genuinely don't know why. Yeah, yeah. My theory is is that my theory is is that there's the beginning of the road and the end of the road. You know what I mean? And my my I feel like at the beginning of the road, Darwin Cook was. I want to do the Parker books. I want to do, like, kind of adapt, like, all of them or the majority of them, you know. And Slayground was at the top of his list. Like, I'm convinced that Slayground was the one where he's like, I cannot wait to nail this, you know. And then years go by, you know, he does his first one, he does his second, and around the third, I think that's kind of when he just kind of was like, you know... I'm wind. I'm like I'm winded, and I want out. Like honestly, Slayground smacked to me of the air with the air of somebody who didn't like. It clearly was rushed, and yet these things arguably are being released on his own schedule. In theory, he's got you know he should be bucks up on before Watchmen money. Although you know who knows exactly when that rolled in or how much. You know, however long it happened, but Slayground, which should have been hands down Darwin Cook's slam dunk, it should have been his best book in the series, is really bad. It's really terrible. Um, interesting. It, it's horrifically disjointed. It, it, you know, well, the thing that I think is fascinating about it is is that. Um, I this this year was the year of I was supposed to read fifty two books in fifty two weeks, and I think I made it to I think I'm on book number forty five forty four. Oh, Jeff, just go for it for the last week. I see, of course. So he, actually, here's the interesting thing, Graham. This is all like quote unquote books. Like if I put graphic novels on there, I would easily coast over the finish line as far as what Goodreads considers. Like if I were just yeah. to put down all the graphic, no- but I sort of that's not. I don't consider that is is it? Am I a bad comics fan by not considering? No, no, I I, I I also don't consider. I mean, I consider a book, but like if I'm like, how many books have I read? I would never put a graphic novel in there. Right, I wouldn't either because it's just a completely different. You know, if nothing else, an expenditure of time and effort, I feel, you know. So, anyway, so as a result, 45, and believe me, I was totally like, yeah, I'll just power through and read the rest. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I really want to read this book, The Flamethrowers, that I've been hearing so much good stuff about. Um, and I'll probably end up reading it much more slowly. Um, so I did, you know. So I, I'm, but believe me, I had like an option between it was like that or power through by reading even more like dime novels. So like a good chunk of my 45 books that I read this year were Parker novels that I had read many years ago, some of them and others that I had never read. And Slayground was on the list of books that I had never read. 
um, despite thinking that it had like basically the perfect hook. So it's actually one of those books that's somewhat fresh in my mind when I sat down to read, you know, Cook's adaptation. And part of me was like, this is terrible, right? It's, it's that the stuff is actually missing from the material. It's not like something with, um, uh, what's the name of the book where they robbed the town? The one that was his previous score, the score, the score is a perfect adaptation. It's, it's perfect. You know, it captures all the characters. It captures all of the scenes. It manages to milk sort of all the drama from the right parts and points you know, Slayground as a book is really interesting because it starts off with a failed heist. You know, Parker goes to ground in the um, inside the amusement park. You have the chapter of him trying to set things up, but then you cut to one of the things where I feel Cook really screwed up is, I mean, yeah, Cook really screwed up is the chapter where you switch back to the crooks basically getting their act together. Um, and getting ready to go into the park, there's so much stuff being told inside the head of the guy who heads into the park, the guy with the mustache who's like, you know, that you really honestly think, okay, this is like just, it's a classic fake out. With the amount of time that Westlake spends developing this character and the amount of time inside his head and the amount of time that you know about his life and what a tough character he is, that you sort of know that he's going to be the nemesis, Parker's nemesis in the book, you know, when he, when they go into the park and guide into each other, he's going to be sort of, you know, the Alan Rickman of this diehard scenario. And one of the first things that, that Westlake does is he puts a bullet in that guy's head, like almost immediately. So that feels like this incredible natural surprise when you read the book and it's, it's a way of pulling the rug out from under you in a way that you didn't even, you didn't even know that you were standing on a rug. Right. Yeah. But when you get into reading the cook adaptation i'm sure you did not get any of that feeling from that at all did you no not at all yeah so it's completely something that cook was even though that's the way that's the motor that works the second third of the book he just throws that out but he doesn't he replaces it with nothing nothing the other thing that is interesting is another reversal that happens is is that the scene where parker is surprised by the cop on the pirate's galleon and that he knocks them into the water. Um, when Parker comes out of that, he is almost dead because it is very much this thing that you've taken for granted all along, which is just that it's winter and that it's cold. But once he knocks into the water with all of his clothes on and he gets out and there's no heat, he almost freezes to death. And so you end up with Parker, not only is he outnumbered by like 50 guys, but he is arguably weaker than you see him at just about any other point in the series. And again, that's not really conveyed in the book no, at that's all. Totally, totally undersold. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I've not read the this uh, start novel, but mm-hmm. even reading the adaptation, the Cook adaptation, mm-hmm. I felt completely underwhelmed by that and I was very conscious of being underwhelmed by mm-hmm, it mm-hmm, exactly I was like 
you know, I feel I should have felt this more. I feel I should have known more what was going on here without him having to say, he's putting on an extra sweater. Right, right. You know, it, it, it was just, uh, yeah, it, I was actually just looking at it in comparison with the other books. It's like half the length of the outfit. Exactly. It's exactly. a super short book. It's, it's, it it mm-hmm. speaks of him maybe just rushing to meet the deadline. Because also, it came out in the last, what, the second last or the last shipping week of the year? Yeah. I'm wondering if it's one of those I have to have out by 2013. I will just cut uh, all the corners. I maybe, maybe I don't know. I it it could well be. I personally think that yeah, he just because I I feel like he's had more length the uh, of time to between the novels. Um, although I'm not really paying attention, I honest to God just think he whipped through it. Then he threw in the seventh, and that to me is another uh, primal point. Is is the seventh is uh, another Parker book that is really interesting and very odd because in the course of the seventh, um, Parker ends up having bad luck with all of his heists and it gets tracked back to this one guy that he's made the mistake of letting live who's fixated on him, um, and the showdown between Parker and this one dude in this office building is one of I'm sorry office building this building under construction is is actually one of the more um, uh, what's the word uh, evocative and mood heavy that that you know considering it's all action it is it's literally it starts the the fight scene the chasing with them starts at day and it pretty much ends as I recall more or less at night and it is just it's just it's great but it's grim as hell and you can tell that cook wanted to do that sequence because that's all his version of the seventh is but by the time he's done with it it's like it's like one of those um Steranko stories where you're kind of like it's cool but it doesn't have any effect on me apart from it just being cool you know what i mean whereas like in the seventh it's really by the time things have ground down like it's it's practically primal and you can tell that cook really wanted to do it but he did but by the time he gets a chance to do it he doesn't really want to do it and that's my personal thing like reading slayground was tremendously disappointing to me um and part of it was i really feel it was down to the fact that cook was like well i committed to doing this thing but i shouldn't i, sh- I like i just don't want to do it anymore you know what I mean? And so to follow that up with him saying like, oh, and there'll be more Parker books coming in 2015 or whatever they say at the end of the book. I was just like, Jesus, man, don't stop. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. T- take a break. But yeah. Yeah. Take it, a break. It's funny. The, you, the, you saw the seventh was actually uh, done two years before, right? Um, no. If you if you look in the copyright notice, the seventh is copyright 2011. Oh, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, yeah, if, like, the seventh was his attempt to, like, do, like, a kind of like the way the man with the getaway face is done as a, you know, sort of an entire short before uh, the outfit, I think. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if that's what he was going to try and get at with the seventh, you know? Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it, it's such a disappointing book. It's mm-hmm. such a disappointing book. Uh, yeah. I, I was really 
really sad because I, I was super excited that it had come out. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I know. Exactly. And it was interesting to me because there was also a marked lack of buzz about it, too. Like, I was kind of yeah, like... It, it just sort of appeared. It just sort of appeared. Yeah, and I wonder if that was just because... Basically, because the number of people who read the advanced copies of it and were just kind of like, ah, uh-huh, you know, that they were just like, okay, well, let's just get this out. You know, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. But I was stunned. I was stunned by how disappointing that was. You know, because it was, I picked up something like, I literally picked up five trades yesterday. Um, and that was the one that I made the time for to sit down and read it was the only trade that I've read, you know, between then and now, and it was the one that I made a huge point to read first. Yeah, you know? and it was it was so disappointing. And it's, it, like I read it last night, and I was so disappointed. And I thought maybe I was just in the, in the wrong mood, right? And so I reread it, re- it today because it's a super fast read as well. It's mm-hmm. what eighty odd pages, but a lot of them are silent. And to be honest, not even particularly um, filled visually. No, 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 no. They're, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so it's a super fast read uh, and I was just like no it, it actually is just not that good and yeah. and horribly pales in comparison with the other books yeah yeah which is amazing to me because because there are stuff where uh, I don't know you know the outfit actually is not necessarily one of my favorites um, what, what's funny is I don't know if you remember this but when the score came out I think we had this exactly same conversation about the score mm-hmm. I think we were like the score just isn't as good as the other two right 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 so I wonder if it's it really is just you know by the time the fifth book comes out we will both read it we will both like well let's just not get the next one could be I mean it could be I don't know I mean it's tough it's tough there's Again, having read the majority now of, well, I don't know. I've of read the actual it, books. Uh, yeah, of the actual books, I, I definitely read something like nine of them this year. So I don't even know, you know. But he he wrote he did he wrote he wrote a bunch of them and then took a gap and then came back and then started cranking them out again. So I haven't read his more modern stuff, and I'm still. I think I was kind of jumping back because I skipped over a number of, you know, his middle period stuff where people thought he was getting a little complacent, he being uh, Westlake. Um, But, you know, the Parker character is a tough one because he does not, he doesn't change. You know what I mean? He's a... He's a very specific form of anti-hero and he's pretty much... Like, in order to obey the rules about him, the books almost can't be... Like, they're they're antithetical to, to the type of drama that we talk about now. Like, only maybe in, like, one or two books do you, of the ones that I read is anything ever personal for, you know, Parker, in fact. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first three or four. And then at a certain point of it, it is literally just, you know... This is the, you know, he's got to either commit the impossible job or the impossible job goes wrong and you have to get yourself out, you know. So, like, Slayground is a perfectly good example. There is nothing really personally invested uh, for Parker in this, except one of the things that is so great, and again, this is the part that, that Cook misses to me, is Parker's in there with an enormous bag of money. He ends up 
killing all of these people, and all these people are trying to kill him, and in the end, nobody gets the money. You know, basically, Parker gets away, but he has to leave the money behind, and he's basically like, well, hopefully I can come come back for it someday. But he literally gets out by, you know, the skin of his teeth. And being a completely unsentimental character, he's like, well, someday I'll come back for the money. But the effect that it has on you as the reader of, like, oh, sweet Jesus, all these people got killed for no reason. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. So, but that's that's really missing in the comic. Yeah, exactly. That, that's just, that's just not present at all. Yeah, I, that's the thing. There's nowhere in the comic, and there should be, but there's nowhere in the comic that feels like this is stakes. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And the stakes are a very hard thing to dis- to put in with into the Parker books, you know. And and it's so, but he always figures out a way. The level of degree of investment that you get even i think i would i would argue one of the things that i thought bode so well for later parker novels in those first two books with cook is the fact that despite the fact that they are you know the most personal of of parker's books in terms of things at stake like you said i'm getting my money back or you fucked me over and now you have to pay um you know, the very personal things for Parker in theory, uh, is the fact that Cook was able to to do so many very nifty, formalistic comic book telling um, tricks to keep you interested and keeping things lively, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he really had that at all. Like, once he got to his, you know, fold-out brochure of... Happy Land or whatever, that's pretty much the last hurrah. Like, I fully expected him to have, like, you know, practically, like, shots of the map with, like, you know, the dotted lines, you know, like a practically a family circus fucking thing, you know? Yeah, 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 where he's gone. It it really was, with the exception of that fold-out map. And even the fold-out map is very... Cook by the numbers. It kind of is, isn't it? I was surprised by, in a way, how much, even when he's like, oh, there's stamps in here. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. But even some of the text where it's just like, must be accompanied by parent, you know, it was like half of the little, like, like you got the sense he didn't even really enjoy the idea of digging into what, you know, parental authority corporate speak sounded like back in 1964, you know? There there wasn't much joy in it at all. It's a very, uh, very disappointing and yeah, it's just a sad book. It's Mm -hmm. just a sad adaptation ultimately. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's very, very surprising for me. Uh, I was really, really shocked. I hope that whatever Cook needs to do to, to get his mojo back. And it'll be interesting. Maybe other people will pick this up and feel absolutely differently. But um, I just, I, it really was a, a really um, shocking uh, surprise of, of the unhappy sort to, to, yeah. to read that. So. I, I, have a, I have a spin-off question for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read The Blackbird? After seeing as you read the Slayground Slay prose, did you read The Blackbird? Uh no, I haven't. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? 
It sounds familiar. Slayer and the Blackbird have the same first chapter, but Blackbird is what happens. Oh to, yes, yeah, uh, exactly. Crowfield. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I meant to actually read that. Um, and in fact, there was some other book that I read where Stark's story went one way and Grofield's went the other, and I can't remember which one it was. But yeah, no, 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 no. I love I that idea. I, I really yeah. love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I thought that that was actually there's there's all sorts of. There's all sorts of brilliant little tricks that Westlake does in his Stark books like that, and it just it makes me so happy. Um, but no, the Blackbird is on the list. It goes in a very different place. I mean, I don't know if you know, but I think it ends up with Grofield having to work with the government. Maybe I think. Yeah, yeah. Because so. I just I was just googling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he it's apparently inspired by Notorious, the Hitchcock film. Huh. Uh, and. He's volunteered by secret government agencies to go to a conference of third world leaders in Quebec to find out just what the hell they're up to. And it's the South American Banana Republic that is and an African country, Undurwa. Undurwa? Wow. Uh, who are plotting something. That's great. Huh. So, you know, that could be great or terrible, depending. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm super curious. In part because... I really like Grofields' character from the the two, uh, really yes. from the, the score that he's appeared in. He, he doesn't really get much of a play in the Slaygrounds comic at all. Yes, but in the score comic, I really really liked him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, it's great. He crosses paths with uh, with Parker again in a book that, since I read out of order, I read just recently, which is the one where they rob an island. Uh, it's quite good. Ah shit! Why am I why am I blocking on the name of it? Um, uh, yeah, he's a great character, and in fact, it's kind of interesting to have read Lemons Never Lie, which I think might have been one of the later Grofield books, which was the f- first Grofield book of his that I read. I mean, you know, as opposed to a Stark uh, Parker book that he appears in, and I kind of half wish that I had read it absolutely dead last. It is apparently the last Grofield book. Yeah, it feels like the last Grofield book. In, and I mean that in like a really good way because um, part of what's great about it is is that Parker and Grofield seem like are, – are nothing but diametric opposites you know, in the books, in their countenance. It's only the fact that they're both equally professional and good at what they do. Um, and professional behavior is a really big thing in the Stark books. It's one of those things that's very, really awesome. Um, but by the end of Lemons Never Lie, you're kind of like, oh, he may not really be any different from Parker. You know what I mean? Like, he, you do not think that Grofield is, I guess, as brutal and as ruthless as Parker is. But by the time you get to the end of Lemons Never Lie, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, they're kind of basically the same guy like totally different but utterly the same so i don't know grofeld uh so yeah um dude what 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 else did you buy what else did i buy let me run down the list very quickly and and again let me say that this was i i mentioned this briefly on twitter but it was my first time in the store in a month i bought 23 individual issues and like i said five trade paperbacks and out of those only out of the singles only three of them were from a big two publisher and from the trades only one so 
that to me that's kind of a sign that I'd like to believe that that's a sign that there's a lot of good you know the comics marketplace is getting healthier because I'm able to basically go to the store and walk out with it a huge armful of comics with you know and that's even without without buying anything from Marvel. So, let's see. Running in reverse order. I picked up Mind Management 17. Haven't read it. Powerpuff Girls number 3. Haven't read it. Archer and Armstrong 16. Haven't read it. Powerpuff Girls number 4. Have not read it. Five Five Ghosts issue 6 and 7. Did not read. Star Wars issue 4. Nope. Wonder Woman 26. Have not read. Batman 26. Read and was... Um impressively underwhelmed by again like i'm really this is a running theme for you now yeah i think so i think so well you know it's kind of funny because on the one hand reading this issue of batman i was like the whole it took a while for me to catch on but the whole dr death stuff is like oh they're really trying to do sort of batman not you know literally batman year one in the sense of like the, their versions of the very weird comics from the first year of Bob Kane and Bill Finger where, like, you know, he's fighting vampires and characters named The Monk and Dr. Death and stuff like that. So I felt like half of what they were doing was trying to come up with a way to come up with a context that's like, oh, we're telling a story where we can have a character called Dr. Death running around despite being in sort of a pre-supervillainy sort of time or whatever. I don't know. It it was okay. I have to say I probably liked Batman and Two-Face issue 26 more. Although, again, so much of that is just the fact that Patrick Gleason is fabulous. I just think he... He, he is on fire these oh, days, isn't he? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He just does... He had such a great shot of just Harvey Dent pre-Two-Face where he's talking through like the you know prison interrogation glass thing and of course there's a crack running through it It's so it like splits his face in two but it's great it's just a shot of Harvey Dent and you're like wow that is the most evil motherfucker in the world you know his his work is just lovely I'm not sure how I'm feeling I really run hot and cold on Tomasi as a writer on this title I have to say you know, I I am unsure where he's going with this. I I have to say I enjoyed the series a lot more when Damien was in it. Yeah, I really I, I, think... I felt like he was going somewhere, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not sure where the hell he's going right now. And also, I really miss Carrie Kelly. I yeah. want her back in the book immediately. Yeah, I'm I'm really not sure why she's not in here unless it's designed to be a... I mean, did they pull her in some other thing that I wasn't paying attention for? Well, I, I'm wondering if they've pulled her for the Eternal series. For uh, the weekly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 may, that may be the case. Because definitely, I would say the last eight issues or so of, of this Batman title have been pretty pretty wobbly. Um, but, uh, but, but Gleason really is, I, I have to say the last time when we recorded Graham was really an epiphany for me <laughs> having to admit that I like Tony Daniel, 
Detective Comics and just realizing, like, holy shit, I like crappy Batman stories. Like, I, I like them kind of shitty, you know? This one was a little too talky, but you still got a scene where, like, I don't know, Batman rides his motorcycle right into a graveyard up somebody's face, so it's kind of hard. Yeah, exactly. He just rides over the hoods. Yeah, exactly. I'm just kind of Which like, is kind of hilarious. And also, I, I was actually reading that. I was like, holy shit, all those sisters are just getting shot underneath them, and he doesn't give to give a shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's, there is. Just like let those guys shoot each other. I'm going to get you. I mean, it really is like what? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of it that it's just like I, I, I don't really. I'm not really sold on it. But it is some of it is like the, um, again, just some of the some of the shots of like Bruce Wayne. There's that scene with Bruce Wayne. That's actually great. His whole like I remember a story Alfred told me once of Navajo origin, and Alfred like off panel is Cherokee. <laughs> and I, I just love that. That that panel really clicked for me in part because the Bruce Wayne looks great, but also Tomasi's doing some very nice little shenanigans in the course of his dialogue. But it's not a great book. It's really hard for me to recommend, but it's one that I, I'm enjoying. Uh Lazarus number five, which again is is probably Savage Critic's most pilloried book. Um but I'm still reading it and still not hating it, I guess. You know, um, Velvet Number 2, pick that sucker up. Uh, I know that came out a while ago. I enjoyed it. I actually ended up enjoying the car chase sort of sense of it. I, I feel like it's sort of, maybe because it was so much of an action scene, I feel like it kind of covered less ground. Um, sagas... Issue 16 and 17, which I read, and reading the two of them together, I think, was actually really great. It, it felt like... A- issue 17, holy crap! Yeah, wasn't that amazing? Oh, holy shit! It's yeah. great. So, uh, Saga is a comic that Kate loves. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't just, like, loves. And so last night, we're in bed, and we're both kind of sleepy, and I'm reading the Parker book. Mm-hmm. And Kate's like, have you read Saga? And I was like, no, do you want to read it? And she's like, yes. And she reads it, and she gives it back to me, and she's like, huh. <laughs> and I was like, is it good? And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. And then I read it, and I was just like, holy shit! And then and she's like, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, we can we can cover some of this stuff very quickly uh, later. Issues one seventeen and one eighteen of Walking Dead. Um, I realize Walking Dead is almost like my stupid Batman books. You know what I mean? Like it's, I can't even really say if it's satisfying or not. Honestly, I but I can't stop. I'm I'm not going to stop reading the stuff. Whatever it is that I'm emotionally invested in, like it's still the even if it's not doing the stuff that I want to do, it's still the book I want to read. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, There is a little bit of that, like, well, hopefully if I stick around long enough, they're going to get back to telling exactly the sort of post-apocalypse zombie survivor stories that I want, you know? Um, but up until then, I can deal with, you know, Robert Kirkman doing, an, you know, an amusing Brian Bendis imitation or whatever. Uh, Mars Attacks Judge Dredd, issue four, wrapped up. I thought Honestly, I really enjoyed it all the way through, all the way through. Um, it ended up being just a, like a four-issue piss-up, but 
but it's a four-issue piss-up that the more that I've been reading of 2000 AD, honestly, it just felt like one very long version of what would have been a disposable eight-pager back in the early 2000 AD years. And I mean that as, like, in the highest praise possible kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then I read issues two and three of Pretty Deadly. Um, Now, I am really behind. I actually have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think? Well, I was really hoping you would have read them so that you would have been like, oh, Jeff, you know, and then, uh, I'm, I'm in a situation where I don't know if, <laughs> like, how do I, I don't like it and I don't want to say, what if I just slow, yeah, if I slow out, down never, and then I change subjects, no, 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 no. look was... at the weather. <laughs> Right, exactly. You see right through me, Graham. No, actually, it's going to be a little bit more of um, the opposite, which is kind of, I don't know what's going on, and I don't even know if what they're doing, they're doing well. With the except, but I enjoyed it. I think that the the verve of uh, Emma Rios' storytelling and the fact that she and DeConnick basically want to go there whatever the whatever that wherever that place is the fact that the two of them are committed to going there together it is a far stranger book than i would you know what it reminds me of this is it i was reading a fight scene in the second issue um and the book that pretty deadly reminds me of more than any other is i swear to god um uh, Robert Fleming and Trevor Von Eden's Thriller. No joke. That I, is, to me, high praise. I know, exactly. And that's that's where I'm kind of, when I read Thriller, when it would, you know, <laughs> miss cue the old man music, you know, you know, it should be some sort of jazzy type thing like they play for silent pictures. Back, back the in the 20s. Exactly. <laughs> Prohibition was at its peak. Girls were learning to be flappers, and Thriller had come out on the stands. Um, I, I, I remember reading Thriller and not understanding it, like literally being in the dark, but being so enthralled by the storytelling and kind of the passion of it. And even when feeling sort of started to kind of leak in obliquely at the edges, you know. Um, it seemed all that much more powerful precisely because I kind of couldn't understand what was going on and why. So that's what Pretty Deadly is for me. Check out the issues and see whether or not you agree. But I really, there's times where the way Emma Rios is laying out her story, her storytelling is just phenomenal. But it, and it really is trying to push like, uh, weird two and a half D dimensionality to the storytelling pages or something. I don't know. I just, I just really, I found myself going, I do not understand what's going on. I re and I do, I don't even think necessarily they're doing it well, but I really enjoyed looking at it and experiencing it and kind of looking forward to the next issue of it. So kind of weird. Well, that, 
that sounds that's actually I I'm going to take that as a win, especially because I feel that both of us did not like the first issue. And we so, really didn't. Yeah, exactly. To, to hear to hear you say that about the, the second and third makes me think, huh? I should I should make sure those get read sooner rather than later. Well, I'd be curious because it really is a um, to to judge issues two and three by the standards that I brought to issue one. I feel like it's an even bigger fail. You know, <laughs> in that yeah, but, regard. But also, your uh, expectations can get re-adjusted. Exactly. Like yeah. But it, it's it's this fail from what I ex- expected. But mm-hmm. I'm liking what it is after all. I feel that uh, when we talked about Velvet, when Velvet came out, mm-hmm. uh, one of your complaints was that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were actually you were more disappointed on the basis of your pre- of your preconception as opposed to the actual book. Right, and well, so I think it's interesting when you read a second or third issue after that because you've had the disappointment of you know it wasn't what I thought from the first issue, right? And then you can be like, oh, but it actually is this thing with right. the second and third, right, right, right. I think, and to be fair, because I I don't want to sound like I'm trying to um, uh, equivocate, but I think it's worth clarifying at least a little bit in the case of Velvet um, that. Part of that was very much the idea of like, I thought I was getting one book and then I ended up with another. And then the twist was it ended up being the book that I originally suspected that it was going to be, I suppose. You know, I I think if I remember correctly, one of the things that I, I feel is worth mentioning is very much the beginning of Velvet made me be like, think, oh, Brubaker's doing a lot more Jean Le Carre than I would have thought. And I really like it. And then by the end of it, it kind of got back into comics, you know, which is Fine, And the second issue of Velvet, I feel, is fine. And in fact, putting together my best of list for 2013 was really interesting because I had so many things of... I really feel like a good year in comics is probably, I would argue, is better measured by how thick the B your your mid list of good ti- of titles that you just enjoy and that you think are that are pretty reliable that aren't necessarily the best but like keep you coming in you know month after month the stuff that's that thick layer there is part of the thicker it is like the more you can think of it as a good year you know what mm-hmm. i mean You've now mentioned it. Give us your uh, best of 2013 list. Okay, so... Um, Wait, with the proviso that we have like 20 minutes left. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a quick... <laughs> okay, I'm really going to rip through this very, very quickly because the, I've got several different categories um, and also I've got a huge section at the end which is stuff that did not come out this year but was absolutely my favorite stuff that I... among the favorite stuff that I read. Okay. So. Yeah, my best of 2013 includes uh, Sachi-chan Good, uh, which is the um, was the one shot that's done by uh, God. <laughs> I didn't write down his name, and I should have the Dragon Ball uh, Z guy who also did the um, the name I should have looked up the the thing that kept me reading Shonen Jump Alpha this month as much as I did the. Um, Space Ranger story that I did not, I meant to look down and did not. Uh, Kakator, which again probably didn't even come out this year, but I read for the first time on Comixology, which was that awesome retro manga about, um, about a robot boy who basically turns into a wandering rock and roll guitar playing 
you know, man of mystery. And so it's kind of like, what if the fugitive was populated by insane insect robots? Great stuff. This year, I was super grateful for Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated and Action Comics. Both of those are, I feel, weird shadow versions of each each other in that I feel like the majority of Batman Incorporated were some of the best comics that Grant Morrison has done with a completely sort of frustrating and sort of disappointing finale. And Action Comics, which was just the opposite, like had an absolutely amazing finale and was made to me felt pretty flat throughout the most of it. Um, definitely for me, the, the year of Al Ewing, if you think about the fact that Jennifer Blood, I was reading Jennifer Blood at the beginning of this year. Um, we both read The Fictional Man. Mars Attacks, Judge Dredd came out. And he had the uh, Zombo storyline and that second collection uh, Zombo uh, trade, which is which is among my best of the year. Also, great year for Brian K. Vaughn. He did both Saga and The Private Eye, which I enjoyed tremendously. Um, oh, I see what happens. I stuck Brian K. Vaughn in the middle of uh, Al Ewing's list because I should also mention that Ewing's uh, Age of Ultron fill-ins were absolutely some of the best comics that I read this year too. Brandon Graham's another out of these guys, Morrison, Ewing, BKV, and Graham, because Graham had both multiple Warheads and Prophet, um, which were amazing for me to read. Uh, I should mention um, Copra by uh, Michelle Fief and Ant Story by uh, Michael DeForge, which I read online. Those both are were fucking phenomenal, game-changing books for me. Um, I ended up sort of falling away from Shonen Jump Alpha this year, and I'm not really sure if I'm going to be back. I know there's a lot of people who have a ton of love for One Punch Man, for example, but I'm more of a guy, more of a cross-managed guy. Like, I almost, at this point, am actively wishing that they had, you know a girl's comic equivalent to Shonen Jump Alpha that I could I could subscribe to because I think I'd be much happier with that. Um, in digital, uh, Bandette and Batman 66 uh, were both fantastic. Uh, Double Barrel, which I followed all the way up until it's... I still haven't picked up and read the penultimate issue, but... I think the final issue is Jeff. Yeah, the final issue. Sorry, I, penultimate. I mean the ultimate. I think I think the ultimate issue came out like finally a few months ago, and I have not picked up. I really like the way that even though they broke up their um, double canon uh, approach to things, the guy who was doing the perhaps the knots was that was a very odd book and a very agreeable addition. It'll be really interesting to see. I feel like I don't know if the experiment really worked out for them, but I would like to think that there's still a future in this sort of digital model. We'll really see. Also on digital shout out, I have to give a, a, a big thumbs up to Chris Weston's uh, issue that he did, the story that he did for the Adventures of Superman digital comic, which was gorgeous. Um, under trade paperbacks, the End of the Fucking World by Charles Forsman, My Dirty Dumb Eyes by Lisa Hanawalt, uh, Zombo, You Smell of Crime, and I'm the Deodorant, Sintatulo by Cameron Stewart, which was finally collected, Jack Kirby Omnibus Volume 2, which apparently came out this year for its collection of amazing amazingness, most especially that uh, superpower, first superpowers trait um, miniseries. Uh, then under Weirdo One-Shots, Avengers Assemble Number 1 by Crystal Gage and Tom Coker, a really great story about the vision that, that felt like a classic 70s Marvel comic in some way. 
uh, Super Mag by Jim Rugg, two one-shots in Empowered by Adam Warren, Empowered Animal Style and Empowered Nine Beers with Ninjet, Masters of the Universe, The Origin of Hordak One-Shot by Keith Given in a super Jim Kirby, uh, Jack kirby style. Jim Kirby. <laughs> Optic Nerve. Jim, Jim Kirby was the best. Yeah, wasn't he? Long, long live. Um, Optic Nerve number 13 by uh, Adrian Tomine was really super strong. Um, then there's the stuff that I thought was not necessarily the best, but was the stuff that ended up populating my, again, that B-level list of books, stuff that I'm glad is in the store and that I'm coming back for. Walking Dead, Fatal, Batman and Robin by Tomasi and Gleason, Snyder and Capullo's Batman, Afterlife with Archie, Sex Criminals, Pretty Deadly, <coughs> Lazarus, uh, and the just-finished Zero by Alice Cott and, and uh, Sorted. Um, and then, although it didn't come out this year, but stuff that gave me some of the biggest pleasure of the year, of course, Hookjaw, Shaco, Rogue Trooper especially, and Cat Shit 1, that stuff made me crazily happy. Chronicles of Conan, the color reprints of the Roy Thomas Marvel Comics material, the White Zero issue of 2001, A Space Odyssey by Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko Archives, The Shade the Changing Man stories, All of the Boys by Garth Ennis, which I read as a collection of digital omnibuy and uh, ended up being, I think, the strongest thing that, that Ennis ended up doing. Superman, The Phantom Zone, which was collected this year by Steve Gerber, Gene Cullen, and Rick Veach. Yakutade Japan, which, which Graham shuddered uh, at even the actual sight of when I showed it to him when he was here uh, recently. The Secret Society of Supervillains, Trade Paperback, and the first volume of Torpedo by Sanchez Abule, Jordi Bornet, and Alex Toth. I also wanted to go, Torpedo! <laughs> I honestly could not tell you why. <laughs> well, I, I I'm sorry that you did not do it. I have to say, yeah, I, I I'm I'm kind of sad as well. Yeah, um, you mentioned lots of stuff. I even forgot it come out this year. It, it does help to go through the show notes, and and I'm lucky in that writing them up in in Evernote. I just had to like put on the podcasting tag and look through them and just throw things on the list. But yeah, there's a lot out this year, wasn't there? Yeah, there really was. Uh, I'm going to uh, list some things that you haven't included for various reasons. Mostly, uh, there's a lot of Marvel books there that were great that you have sadly not read. Quite understandably, uh, yeah. Young Avengers is is totally up there. I think Young Avengers has been a really, really good book this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to be really sad when it's gone. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it has a, a particular flavor that Marvel... I'm not sure Marvel needs, but I think it's going to be very noticeable when it's absent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Ewing's Mighty Avengers is also very good. Mm-hmm. I know many people are staying away from it for the Greg Land factor. Get over yourself, people. It's a really, really good comic. Yeah, it, that's the one that, that uh, probably the number one book that I wish that I was reading. You know? Yeah, it, it's very, very good. Um, Iron Man, mm-hmm. again, a, a book that I think many people might have stayed away from for Greg Land. Again, I think, well, first of all, he's not on the book anymore. So, you know, hey, everyone, get over <laughs> yourself. Um, <laughs> but it it's, has been really, really strong. And I think that the swerve. Uh, at the end of the Secret Origin of Tony Stark, yeah, was great. Was it was a masterstroke. Yeah, uh, I've also really been enjoying the Final Frontier digital series that they're doing. That's mm-hmm. uh, Kieran Gillen and Ali Ewing are co-writing. Right. Yeah, that would be which, really which is, trippy. 
which is a really really fun series uh, mm-hmm. which which I've, I've really enjoyed um, All New X-Men is a very problematic series that I've been following in, in collection from the library mm-hmm. but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't like a weirdly enjoyable soap opera right like I, I find myself you know not I must buy this but instead huh I, I'm I'm actually kind of enjoying this something that I am buying and really enjoying is Wolverine the X-Men I think Jason Aaron's very superhero take on those characters and very light take is everything I could want from an X-Men book. Uh, I can't tell you how happy it makes me to read an X-Men book that is so unabashedly happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to the point where things happen that should not happen just because he wants a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just want to like punch the air. When he does that, uh, there, there was an arc where so he has Brew, who is this child prodigy brood, mm-hmm. uh, who is super polite and super nice, mm-hmm. uh, and gets infected by evil and goes feral. Mm-hmm. And you know everyone's like, ah, he's gone dark, and that you know that's your X Men plot right there. Right, you have innocence and it is corrupted. And then in the end, he's just like, and then he just magically gets better, <laughs> and he doesn't just get better; he gets better and he saves the day. Ah. You know, and it's like, yes, that's what I want. I want, I want the nice guy to save the day, mm-hmm. and not save the day by going evil. I want him to save the day because he just is a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find that incredibly uh, valuable as a reader, in part because it's so lacking almost everywhere else. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I, I love that. Um, Green Lantern. I've said, I said it earlier on, I'm. I am really enjoying Green Lantern right now, in large part because, and I said this on Twitter earlier today, it's he's writing the Gerard Jones Green Lantern. Mm. It's not the Jeff Jones one at all. It's Gerard Jones, where it's Hal is kind of a dick, mm-hmm. but is trying hard not to be, and everyone around him knows he's a dick, but wants to believe him and support him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 I like. I really, I really gravitate towards that because mm-hmm. Jeff Johns Hal was like the hero, you know. I will put him through hell, but he is just so heroic, mm-hmm. amazing. People hate him, but really they love him. They hate him because they're not him. <laughs> so it's nice to get back to other characters being able to see his flaws, but forgive him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it becomes less of a binary: we hate him or we love him. Mm-hmm. And much more of a complicated. You're kind of a dick sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, but you really appreciate uh, Manipal and Bucoletto's Flash mm-hmm. was an exceptionally frustrating read. Yeah, but ultimately, I think a rewarding one. Mm-hmm. But but let's not forget it was exceptionally frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, away from superior stuff, Bad Machinery came out this year. The the John Allison collection. Oh yes, I mm-hmm. adored. Utterly adored. Yeah. Uh, and he has put out a couple of things through Comixology as well mm-hmm. uh, that I think are a collection of scary ground strips mm-hmm. that have also just been like, I see them and I, I buy them immediately. Right. Because I, I just think he is, he's that great. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I been reading? Oh, I read American Barbarian now that's available in Comixology. Oh, hey, terrific. Did you, the first couple of, the first two issues or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It's, weird as fuck but I have to say Tom Sayoli's Transformers G.I. Joe may be my most looked forward to comic of next year oh shit is he actually doing that 
He's writing and drawing Transformers G.I. Joe, Jeff. For IDW? Yeah. Oh, I am all over that. I am and all it is over that. Described as a cosmic version of the two story characters. Oh my god, I cannot wait to see that. Oh shit, I did forget to pick up Godland the other day. Fuck me. Ugh. All right. Well, make it digitally. That digitally. Yeah, yeah digitally. exactly. Uh, shit, I can't. I. I. It really is the point where I'm forgetting things that I've read. Um. I read, I reread Alec as I do every year, and that continues to be something that every single year I'm just like, this is the perfect comic. It's so good, isn't it? I was actually rereading some Alec lately, and I need to read more because on on your uh, recommendation, there's stuff that I picked up because of your recommendations, uh, including whatever scurry go round trade or maybe it was bad machinery that was on sale on for the kindle i picked up and have not read yeah i'm pretty sure that was bad machinery yeah bad machinery i picked that up because um because you've spoken so highly of it uh and also the from hell companion which was not included in top shelf's uh comiXology sale but was for sale on the kindle so um yeah campbell's great He's just, he's amazing. Yeah, he really is. And, and the Companion's a really good read, actually. I really like the Companion. Um, 2000 AD. I, did you actually even mention 2000 AD? 2000 AD has been amazingly good this year. Yeah, I, I actually think that I bumped it on my list and then got lost. But yeah, no, absolutely. 2000 AD has been my most consistently enjoyable book. Reading reading that weekly, digitally, I think has, has been the strongest anchor of, of my comic reading year. Uh, and it's been really nice because it's one of those things that I always feel weird about being like, everyone should buy 2000 AD because you really do go through periods where you're like, I'm just not enjoying anything outside of Judge Dredd in this in the right. run now. Right. Uh, but when I was when I was traveling last week, mm-hmm. uh, I read like a big batch of them. I basically like, loaded a, a shit ton of, of, on them onto my Kindle. Right. Uh, but also some collections like the Mega City Undercover collections, which is Low Life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a couple of those for Low Life, um, and they're just like it's just so good and experience. And and the Judge Dread universe, amazingly immersive in particular. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely agree. Considering I went from just 2000 AD last year as a digital subscription to that and the magazine subscription this year. Um, really shows you how addictive the whole thing is. I think. Oh yeah, I, I think I'm going for the magazine this year as well. Yeah, you. I, because I, because I got I got a couple of back issues of the magazine just for the sake of it, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, oh, that that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I may want I may want to just get this as well. It's really addictive. It's like you get a big solid dose of you know. It's like a monthly issue of. 2000 AD, you know, where the stories are slightly longer, and then you get um, you get a grab bag of stuff in that graphic novel in the back. In fact, the last thing that I read uh, just a few weeks ago was the Cy Spurrier Lobster Claws dude. I think his name is Lobster something or other. Really good. Like, I was like, holy shit, I really enjoyed this. And Spurrier went from being, for whatever reason, I've heard good things about from, like, his crossed webcomic or other things. And I've been always like, eh, yeah, maybe. Like, a couple of his columns on Bleeding Cool would kind of put me, I kind of wrote him off. But after reading this, I'm like, okay, I'm wrong, and I've got to check him out, because that was really uh, cool. Check out Disenchanted, his Avatar webcomic. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's that's a, that's an interesting read. It's, it's worth reading. Okay. 
Uh, I've I've otherwise totally forgotten what came out this year that I totally loved. It's a shame. I feel that this was an incredibly strong year for comics. Yes. Uh, which is somewhat one of the reasons why I'm like, yeah, I'm totally lost. Valiant as a company overall, I, I've really, really been enjoying Valiant's output. Oh, you know, and in fact, in that solid B-level books, absolutely. Archer and Armstrong's in there is a solid, enjoyable read. I, I have fell off on the other ones and keep meaning to come back. Like I even, you know, they're very good about throwing them on sale digitally every so often. So mm-hmm. I've got a pretty deep bench of the of their titles that I keep meaning to actually catch up with. Jump jump back into Shadow Man now that Peter Milligan's doing it. <laughs> oh wow. Milligan on Shadow uh, Man. because it's Milligan trying to do a cross between his superior stuff and his vertical stuff. Right. Uh, and for the most part succeeding. Wow. I think there's only one maybe two. One issues there's one issue's definitely out and maybe two issues are out by himself. So one of those things where like I'm not sure what I've read that's been released and what I've read that's been a preview. Right. Um, issue thirteen is definitely, and that's the first of his is first of his run. Right. Uh, but yeah, jump back in that uh, Unity. I really like the the team book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harbinger. I is, is going through a very strange, but like two or three issues in, you realize what they're doing, and therefore a very enjoyable storyline. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, some of the Dynamite books have been really good, like solid. Uh, solid B-level sounds like I'm completely putting them down, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that King's Watch, the, the Jeff Parker, Mark Laming uh, Defenders of the Earth book, is really good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think Chris Roberson is doing some really great stuff with The Shadow. I am loving his codename action book. Hmm. It's Captain Action Revival. I have no fucking idea like where that came from. I have no background with the character at all, but mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying what he's doing with that book. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the Green Hornet, Wade's Green Hornet as well is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, like there's Dynamite is one of those companies where I feel like they're almost always written off because you're like, oh look, it's all the covers with the tits on them. Mm-hmm. But they have other books as well that are really good. <laughs> no, they do, um, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, there's been a bunch of stuff that's been really really solid and it's been one of those years where if you burn out of the superheroes and you could completely be forgiven for burning out on the superheroes this year there's been some really subpar work mm-hmm. uh, and really high profile subpar work on, mm-hmm. on from DC and Marvel uh, that there's a bunch of stuff out there that's really worth checking out yeah and and in fact, I have to say, one of the things that I think is an important caveat for me, I had a huge list, but going into that list, I mean, I was able to cull it from all the stuff that we read, but I think listeners to the podcast uh, probably are aware, because um, I think they have good taste. One of the, to me, healthiest signs about 2013 is, is that there are so many books on people's best of list that I have not read yet. You know, that I think is a really good sign um, for how much diversity is out there. I have to say it was great. Comics Alliance, their their master list of their best comics of 2013 was a great mix of stuff that I've read, stuff that I've loved, um, and very few things that I disagreed with, and a bunch of books that I'm like, oh shit, I haven't even heard of that. I've got to start, I've got to read that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's been a really, really, really strong year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, I, I, as you're saying that, my I caught two things. Um, mm-hmm. I a book to pay attention to 
for next year, I think, if you're looking for superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Greg Pak's Action Comics with Aaron Cooter, Aaron Cooter, I think, is going to be something to really watch. Mm. The first couple of issues were surprisingly strong, uh-huh. in part because Aaron Cooter is a great artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, this sounds kind of weird, but if you can imagine Chris Burnham mixed with Jeff Darrow... Mm. I can, there's really, actually. There's mm-hmm. something about that that, that like makes me think of Cooter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhat skew but it's also completely, like, it's really attractive for And also there's a little bit of Seth, Seth Fisher in there, but I think that kind of goes with saying from who I'm mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he's, he's, but Pac's doing a surprisingly, um, humble isn't the right word, but uh, a Superman is easy to empathize with mm-hmm. based on those first two issues, mm-hmm. which I think has been really missing in the new 52. Hmm. So, yeah. And also, I think the pack Superman-Batman was far too obtuse in the opening issues. Mm-hmm. And action it does not have that problem at all. Oh, good. Good, good, good. At all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend that. And I'd highly recommend Green Lantern New Guardians. Hmm. Uh, because it's it's kind of a science fiction comic. <laughs> uh-huh. Which sounds totally weird, but I, it's the basically they did like their crossover in October, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe September, uh, and since then all the books have basically been decoupled, and they're all having their own storylines now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all like all of them have basically been relaunched in the last couple of months as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and New Guardians is kind of nice because it's very separated from the rest of the books right now. Hmm. That that. That does that's appealing to me. I have to admit, and they're not on Earth. Is the other thing they're mm-hmm. all in space. Hmm. Actually, all the Green Lantern books right now are all in space. Oh, interesting. They've all abandoned Earth. Hmm. That's funny. I mean, boy, you can all all those Green Lantern titles, and you can never. I would have figured at least one of them would have ended up covering Earth. You know. So. I think Red Lanterns is going to end up being the book that covers Earth. Hmm. Wow, that's still being published? Yeah, and it's surprisingly strong. Huh. I'll be damned. Uh, Charles Sewell's taken over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if it was him or editorial, but whoever decided that it needed the lead character and that should be Guy Gardner mm-hmm. was a very smart move. Mm. <laughs> Guy Gardner uh, and Red Lanterns, that is actually a great idea. Especially because the setup now is Guy Gardner has decided they're just going to be Green Lanterns, except they're just angry all the time. <laughs> So it's like it's basically lots of angry dudes trying to be the police. Right, right. Well, that I mean that uh, could be the most accurate reflection of reality cop comic of 2013 if done right. <laughs> they will come and arrest you, beat you up, and then vomit blood over you. <laughs> that happens. That pretty much happened right after you know in San Francisco on a semi weekly basis. So. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for people keeping track, um, yeah, the clandestinots, I guess, not the perhaps Um I was sort of – I opened up the master list from Comics Alliance to be able to throw some things on there. And there's a few other things that I left out that I imagine we could maybe talk about next time around. M- you know, as much among the – because I left it out. So would Superior Foes of Spider-Man make, your, make, a, make the B-list – good readings book for you or no? Uh, 
Um, because you've you've said I I think I think it will. I think Mm -hmm. it will. Yeah, I was I was surprisingly cold in the first issue, and it's really brought me around. And it's one of those things where it's one of those books I wouldn't have gone back to if it wasn't the fact that it's Steve Lieber, right? Uh, And then Douglas Walk was being really complimentary about it, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I really like Steve's art. And I really like the art of that first issue, so maybe I should, you know, if Douglas really likes it, then I should probably go back and see what he thinks. And it's one of those that it takes a couple of issues to really get started, but then it becomes this weird kind of comedy, I guess. <laughs> like mm-hmm. a, a dark comedy, which is surprisingly enjoyable. Right. right. Well, I remember you saying some very good things about it, so it, it was worth mentioning since it's made a few other lists. Uh, thanks to uh, the support of various uh, whatnots that gave me digital codes for Marvel. I did read some Marvel books uh, and and thank you for that. I think the strongest stuff that I read most consistently um, although like you I sort of thought that Bendis's X-Men is among the I think the best stuff that he's done in a while as far as I can tell. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also Superior Spider-Man is really good. There is a reason why we spent so long bemoaning the, the loss of Steve Wacker, despite the fact he's been nothing but an utter dick to us. Um, and that is... Why did you have to say that? Uh, what do you mean? That, no, now he's going to magically find the podcast. Uh, it's it's true. It's true. Light he will focus on. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The, the only way that happens is if I mention him in the show notes and or someone mentions him in the comments threads, which is well, probably... Well, obviously going to mention him in the comments threads, <laughs> even if you don't. And, Jeff, we talked about him for like 45 minutes, so I think you should mention him in the show notes. Uh, no. No. I was just going to say we current talk, news. We talked, about, we talked about him so much more than we talked about Matt Fraction from taking off humans, which is honestly what I thought we were going to spend some Oh, that is true. Yeah, we should have. Oh, I don't know. See, this is the thing. I don't know... We should talk about that very quickly because a lot of people were like, oh, my God, please talk about that. But I feel like considering how much we got chased off of the subject of Matt Fraction by listeners like a year or two years ago. Um, are, are you are you scared of going near it? Not so much. Well, a little bit scared, I suppose. I mean, just but I guess in that sense, I he I have sort of he's no longer a figure that captures my imagination. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like all that stuff that went on. I know everyone's really dying for your take because I think they're well aware that you're much more tuned in to Marvel and Marvel's PR and what they say versus what they mean. You know, for me, ultimately, (laughs) I'm very much this idea of I find it absolute bullshit that they didn't think that, you know, whatever idea that he had wasn't like didn't suit their purposes enough like i just can't i i, I did love that mad fractions a take of an human would have been good but it wasn't what we needed so <laughs> that was my favorite part the cornerstone of a new universe within the marvel universe right right i mean that is i love that for multiple reasons one it's the politest way of just outright saying it wouldn't have been good enough yeah like imaginable because that's really what he's saying yeah it would have been good but it wouldn't have been that good right um, two, I love the the bluntness of saying we don't really care about good; we care about what we want. Well, like, uh, no, because they, they were kind of like it was good, but then they also go to great lengths. They don't they don't go on to praise Charles Soule's work as being like remarkably on time and cornerstoneish. They well, say well, it's that's very good. Like, right? I, I love I love the idea that they're like Matt. We worked with Matt for six months to get this right. 
and it just didn't work out and we had to part ways. So now Charles is going to do it in three. Right. And, right. and he's going to play catch up. Yeah. Because he wasn't involved in the planning of the book at all. Yeah. That was hilarious to me because it yeah. really was them just going, we don't really care about quality, you guys. We care about someone who will just do what we say. Right. And right. I, the big, good thing is, Charles Sewell has shown himself to be a very good writer. Mm-hmm. Superman, uh, Superman Wonder Woman is a far better comic than it should be. Right. So you've said. Uh, so, in fact, yeah. Superman Wonder Woman, the third issue, has probably the most enjoyable and recognizable Superman-Batman conversation I've read in the New 52. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is half the comic. Hmm. Interesting. It, it, it was surprising that you're like, oh, shit, he actually gets both these characters in a way that, oh, that's right, no one fucking else in DC right now seems to. <laughs> and he's doing it in Superman Wonder Woman. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really was a, you know, we're, we're saying all the right things, but what we really mean is, yes. that wasn't giving us what we want. Right. And so we got rid of him. Yeah. And we think Charles will. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, weird take on that stuff. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily find it hard to believe. Well, I, I, let's put it this way. There's, there are certainly factors there. I just don't necessarily know if that's what I think those factors are, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have said privately and I will now say publicly, I think Matt Fraction should get out of Marvel as quickly as his legs can carry him. Mm-hmm. I think if, Everything people are saying about how much you can make it from Image and create your own books as you can from uh, a mid-level selling Marvel book, mm-hmm. I think he should basically stick with what is working for him creatively and critically, which is Sex Criminals and, to a lesser extent, Satellite Sam. Right. He should do Casanova with Image again. And I don't, I, with the best will in the world, I think he should quit Hawkeye and he and David Aha should do uh, basically – Hawkeye with all the numbers scrubbed off at Image Mm because people are not buying Hawkeye for Hawkeye they're buying it for those two creators and I think he should get out of Marvel because I think that Marvel is not working out for him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think I think there's something to that I think there's something to that Um, I think that's excellent advice We'll see. We'll see what happens I have to admit he's he's kind of screwed now he can't. Do you know what I mean? Like, if he does that and he does it just because he's like, you know what? I really want to concentrate on this sex. You know, Sex Criminals is incredibly successful for me. I just want to work on that in my own stuff. You know, the Marvel stuff's not working out for me. The minute he's like, you know what, you guys? I'm just going to do the image stuff. The right. internet will be like, it's true. He's been fired after all. Well, like, he can't. It's Catch-22. He's fucked. This is interesting, Graham, because didn't you feel like at the beginning, as long as Marvel says the right things, everyone goes along with it? Like, in other words, are are you saying that everyone would basically, like, believe that the narrative was a lie if he took that, if he went that direction? Yeah, I think I do, actually. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I I think I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say something else there and there, and it completely went... (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say something, and it's entirely gone. Really? Sorry. And it wasn't even something that I was going to say that I probably shouldn't say, which is all that's coming to mind right now. Right, right, which is where you're at. I just did did a great, like, pointing up my head as if, like, everyone (laughs) could see that. All that's coming to my mind are things that I shouldn't be saying. (laughs) 
I, I think you all understand what I'm saying. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me about this whole story was before Fraction did his interview with CBR, mm-hmm. uh, the fan reaction to Fraction being taken off the book. Mm-hmm. I realized how much I hate fandom. <laughs> because I, I honestly saw a conversation which went like this. Charles Sewell's writing in Humans. That means that Matt Fraction has started drinking again. How could he abuse his children like that? <laughs> there was no possibility of like uh, creative differences. Maybe his work in the book sucked. Maybe he quit. Whatever. It was literally because this has happened. Therefore, he must have. And I don't know. Like you and I have talked about shit like this before. Oh, completely. And I felt terrible. Right. And I honestly was like, no, across the line, you guys. Right. No, you you do not get to say that. I, I feel like I feel like we had better groundwork too, but that's maybe just me digging my own grave. But that is amazing. Oh I, my I, God. I really was just like, you no, stop, internet. Right. Fucking stop. That so, is, yeah, that, that is terrible. Yeah, that could be it. When people were like, Oh man, you guys have gotta talk about this. I really had this weird like it's professional. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, eh, whatever, there's stuff that's going on there. You know, it may not be good. You know, things are probably, it's probably a t- frustrating time over at the Fraction household, maybe. But I, I didn't really have that same sense as I did when we were reading Casanova. And it was just like, it was like, it, you know, because I think that I prefer seeing, I, I prefer jumping to conclusions, hasty, over rash <laughs> conclusions based on a person's work rather than, than what's going on with the press releases. So I think the other thing that's interesting is I think intentionally and otherwise, and I'm going to give us both the benefit of this out and say unintentionally, right. I think we were concerned trolling Fraction with, when Casanova came out. Because I think yeah. we're both like, oh, this looks like a sad man. Yeah. Oh, this man doesn't seem happy. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean... And it, I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but for some reason I'm like, well, that's obviously better. Because yeah. at least we're feeling bad for him. Yeah, I think so. I think I, so. I, yeah, I feel that. I also like just saying that. I feel that that's the most hypocritical thing in the world. And commenters i think you have every right to copy on that yeah probably i don't know i mean i really do i the stuff that we were coming at you know it's kind of interesting because i was having a lunch with jared kovac today and he was kind of like a what do you think he was basically like what do you think graham morrison's up to now you know and i'm like huh it's a good question you know so masturbation you're right exactly well so here's the thing i actually feel that graham morrison is a faintly at least faintly bipolar dude you know what i mean uh and there's a way in which i'm a little worried that he's kind of laying low for whatever reason i'm hope i i actually am a little worried and hoping that he's in he's in an okay place jared had i think a a take on it that i i won't we don't really have time to go into this time, so maybe maybe we can talk about it next time. But there is kind of a thing of like I do I do feel for better or for worse that the and, and everyone <laughs> everyone voted for worse. So fair enough. Uh, our obsession with fraction, I I really did feel did come from a good, albeit um, troublingly uh, crazy cat lady ish type place. You know, so um, 
So yeah, but but also I do feel that there's something to be said from getting that from the work as opposed to oh my god this guy got taken off a book. Um, quick, somebody call the police before he turns on the gas in the oven. You know what I mean? Like I just yeah, don't think yeah. that that's you know quite the same thing. Quite the same yeah. thing. So but yeah, I I I think he should uh, he should pull what I am calling a brew baker and get out of Marvel and basically work with the same guys in circumstances he can control. Yeah, you know, I th- we'll see. I think he should. I think that Brubaker had developed ridiculous amounts of goodwill with Marvel. You know what I mean? And left. Like, kind of left neatly oh, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like not, in a far more comparing. diplomatically spot. You know? I'm, not, I'm not comparing their circumstances of leaving Marvel at oh, all. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, if you look at what uh, Brubaker's done... Yes, absolutely. He has basically said, like, I know what works for me. Right. I'm going to do it over here, and I'm going to do it with the same people that I was working with at Marvel. Right. Uh, and I think that Fraction should do the same thing, because I I honestly don't think that Fraction's best work is superhero work. Right. I, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he's doing something like Sex Criminals or Satellite Sam, as much as I think Satellite Sam is, you know, a Harold Chicken cover bandish, um, there, that, that is, I feel that like he's so much more comfortable and more successful doing that. Right. Uh, creatively and if what everyone says about the image model is true financially. Right. Uh, than he is doing, you know, Defenders or Fantastic Four or whatever. Now, just out of curiosity, because you mentioned it twice, is there anyone else besides Vaughn who's been saying that about about their image books being more um, fiscally successful? I want to say I want to say the Fraction himself has said it. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's something I'm sure I've heard from more than one source. Right. Uh, and I want to say that I've seen Fraction say in an interview. Hmm. Hmm. This is, of course, when will you know other people get in con- contact afterwards and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on a low-selling Marvel book and I worked on a, you know, a reasonably good image book and, you know, they're not comparable. I don't know. I, I just... I'm presuming that is true. I might be wrong. Right. But if it is true, I, at this point, do not see a significant upside for Fraction staying at Marvel outside of he's probably getting health insurance from them and he gets to do Hawkeye. Right. Right. Well, we'll see. Obamacare, you know, might... might. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't even mean no, that. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> Cover Oregon's website... Not the easiest to navigate. <laughs> well, neither is Cover California's, I have to say. Like, that just seems to be part and parcel because my Edie, uh, who is a, a full time graphic designer, which uh, Graham knows, but I'm saying out loud for the listeners, um, was being covered under my insurance uh, through my job. And it just took a jump up this year, and she was like, forget it. So she actually spent a lot of time on covered. California site and she was like how the how did they screw this up so badly <laughs> like this is a thing everyone would want and she and she said she's like I'm a smart person <laughs> I'm not dumb why can't I why do I have to be like uh, on the verge of throwing my computer out the window for something that should not be this this hard 
So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, so yeah, I don't know, but uh, if I were Fraction, I would seriously be thinking: Is it worth the hassle? Right. And you know, given everything I know, I'd probably be thinking: It's probably not worth the hassle. You know. Graham, I have to wonder, sorry to change the subject, I think that maybe it it's interesting. If everything works, which God knows it hasn't been, maybe six or seven years from now, we'll look back and be like, yeah, the big story of 2013 was national health care, you know? Like, because that could really change the nature of f- the comics freelancing industry, don't you think? Uh, to be utterly cynical as I'm feeling right now yeah uh, it would the healthcare uh, over, overhaul would have to work mm-hmm. right and I'm feeling kind of cynical about that happening Jeff yeah I I, I guess that's I, why I really I, I really am mm-hmm. like I think if it, I think if it worked I think that would be a big change yes um, I think I think 2013 ultimately is a transition year mm-hmm. and I think that if there's a big story of this year it's actually the big story of 2012 and it's going to be a bigger story in 2014 which is image becoming more of a dominant force in the marketplace and creator own actually becoming a workable uh, financial platform for creators yes um, I, I think that you know we've seen also I, I think if we look at uh, Al Scott as a as a, a model of a creator right now and, yeah. and he's by He's not the only one, but um, he's someone who's really successfully using the big two mm-hmm. to build his brand. Right. He's he did Suicide Squad. He's doing Secret Avengers. He's doing Iron Patriot. But when you say his name to me, I think of Zero. Right. You know, and I think that he's very. He's been very. Uh, mercenary is the wrong way, but he's 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 very much focused on. You know, I'm doing these other books and people learn my name, mm-hmm. but my babies are my babies. Mm. Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of people have talked about for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, but not exactly found it easy to do, mm. uh, that they've gotten overbalanced one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you look at Alish and, and other creators like that, uh, Nick Spencer for that matter, um, because I would still say with Nick Spencer, I think about Morning Glories more than I think about anything else he's done for Marvel. Right. Um, and I, I'm wondering if they're... I wonder if those kids are the future, Jeff. Hmm. I wonder if, if we are going to see a point where there is a big two, and big two is a very dominant force in the marketplace. Right. But the big two also gets used by creators as much as it uses creators. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I would like to think that's the case. I think that I might be a little bit too optimistic with that. Interestingly enough, I would have thought that, that to me, Brew Baker would have been a very good example of somebody who was doing that before he made the transition over. So there, I think there's there's uh, more. I could spend half an hour quibbling with names over with you on this, but I, 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 I yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could. Yeah, <laughs> and sure I. Yeah, I just like Brubaker for me would be a model of someone who got too overwhelmed with Marvel stuff. Oh, interesting. Really, you think so? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. I I, I feel there was a point uh, after Criminal started where I feel that Brubaker's uh, heart was more in Criminal. Mm-hmm. 
his uh, amount of pages owed to Marvel meant that he had to do other books instead. Hmm. Could be. Could be. I... I I would actually say I think Fraction is definitely one of those creators. Oh, I think I think I I think you could probably make a better case there with Fraction, yeah. But because um, I definitely felt that that Fraction sort of all, like kind of all in or all out. Whereas I I think that although I could be wrong, I feel like Brubaker has more or less had at least one self published, you know creator-owned book on the stands every month for a couple of years now. So, and is now stepping up his game to two. So, eh, maybe. You know, I, 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 you know, but but again, this is perception. I feel like it's better to acknowledge your point than to argue the names, because I think, I think it's a very good one. I think that, it, I think that could be, we could be at a tipping point here, and I think that that generally could mean very, very good things for the industry. Or, or not, because being feeling cynical. I, I, <laughs> I, that's not true. I'm feeling optimistic, and I hate myself for feeling optimistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, this could really, like, this could be it, you guys. Right. And part of me is like, no, every single time you say this could be it, you are about to get stamped on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll see. I to me, I yeah, we'll see. It could it could indeed the the stomping could come any any time now. <laughs> any second. Any yeah. second now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And on that merry note, everyone, I think we should uh bid you a a uh fond... Really? Seriously? What? We're ending the year with the stomping could come at any moment. Oh yeah, totally. Cuz normally Graham, uh, I'm the one saying that pessimistic shit. I'm just summing up your pessimistic shit this time. So Oh man. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening this year. That's right. Uh, as we go forward into 2014, Jeff has not said this, even though he was about to end, but I'm interrupting him to say it. Uh, as we go forward in 2014, we're going to stay with the model we've been doing in December, which is week on, week off. We're yes. going to become a bi-weekly podcast because otherwise certain members of this podcast parish uh, would go insane. That's and, right. And that's not something that we want to happen. <laughs> Graham, you made it sound like it was all me. Aren't you at all? You're kind of half interested in oh, this. No, 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 what's really funny is I was talking by myself. Jen. Oh, God, Graham, Mr. Fake Out. I was like, how dare you put that on me? But it's totally true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're going to be doing uh, a podcast every two weeks. Uh, Jeff, if we were smart, we would alternate with House Astonishes. Oh, man, that would be great. Yeah, we'll have to see what their schedule's like. Maybe we can figure that out, because that would be... I just sort of assumed, since we sort of have been stealth bi-weekly, that we would just be coming back the week after next, um, and then just... We, sort of, we definitely could... No, we couldn't, because the week after next is the 2nd of January. Uh, Wait, and that's, that's a problem? Uh, That's my first day back at work uh, after New Year, so I'm guessing I'm probably going to have some shit to do. Oh, I see. So we'll see. We'll see. We we will stay in contact because we will. That, we'll work something out. Yes. I, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing stuff between Christmas and New Year anyway, so that might not be the case. Okay, we'll see. Well, maybe we'll do a New Year's Day podcast. We'll figure something out. Is what I'm saying, listeners. Thank you for listening to us. Yes, 
you'll note we did 31 episodes this year, um, honestly. We're actually for less next year. Well, I, 26, okay? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, exactly. From 31, 26, not that bad. And in theory, we'll, be, we'll have some surprises for you. So, um, apart from just less of us. We will? Yeah. Well, because we talked about the, you know... Oh, we, have, we obviously have to talk more. We do, but you're starting to turn into the Lord of the Flies after two and a half hours. So, uh, Bub, do you want to sing everyone out? <laughs> that sounded like the world's worst auto tuning uh, ever. <laughs> I'm excited to be weird. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Beautiful. 